0: Hello and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast that's sponsored by Gigi's Bar and Lounge in Philadelphia. As always, I'm Mario Lanza.
1: I'm Jay Fisher, and if you burn my hat, I'm just bearded guy.
2: (laughs) I'm Mike Bloom, and I can't wait to see the composite photos of the four of us because it's just going to be one white guy. (laughs)
3: <laughs> I uh, this this is uh, Paul Oselson and I'm so glad I have a sprint phone with me to capture all these moments with you, gentlemen.
0: <laughs> and we are back to finish off our coverage of Survivor Heroes versus Villains, the "quote unquote" greatest season in Survivor history, the most infamous and famous Survivor season of them all. And uh,
1: so, this is so kind do of we a... get extra pay because you said this was just going to be like a four-parter.
2: Yeah, do we get time and a half, Mario? Is this a holiday?
1: Yeah, this, this
0: is, is a clearly part
2: five.
0: Yeah, this is a part five. I originally said part four. I lied. I lied to my fellow historians. I feel horrible about it. Not so much for Jay, but for the other two. But yeah, this is a five parter. It's our first five parter ever. I will guarantee this will be our last five parter. But that does come with the asterisk. You guys are required to do this podcast. So there's no extra pay. There's no holiday pay. So deal with it. In the words of Kit- Taylor from Kid Nation.
1: So I stunned you in silence already. I mean, stunned in the silence. I was sitting here, like, trying to come up with some witty comeback for that. You know, first of all, kiss my ass. Second of all, you're going to, like, seal this whole thing with a Kid Nation reference?
0: Yes, I am going to say. And you get a gold star for noticing that. Jay Fisher is our gold star camper this week. So now
2: you did get money, Jay. You got, like, $10,000, right? Isn't that what the gold stars gave away at the end of the season?
0: Yes, because the star is worth its weight in gold, literally.
3: Let's just talk about the fact that we wonder why this podcast and the season ends up being a five-part podcast. Uh, We start part five talking about Kid Nation. That is why the historians – that's why we are the way we are.
2: Yeah, we could have made it at least applicable to Russell and talked about Pirate Master for like 20 minutes.
1: I refuse to believe that uh, the organization of our podcasts are ever circuitous in any way, Paul. So how dare you?
0: (laughs) I, that's funny because I just, uh, I announced the other day, we're doing part five of of, uh, Heroes versus Villains this week. And somebody said, well, I'm going to go re-listen to parts one through four so I can get back into the flow. And I'm like, flow? I have no idea what we talked about on part four. There's no (laughs) flow whatsoever. I
3: have no no idea what episode we watched. I have absolutely no idea. We just hit play and go. We have the flow of a
2: fish tank, essentially. Like, there is no current going on. It's stagnant water. And how, how...
1: How long ago did you say you were announcing and the person said they were watching it or going to re-listen to parts one and four? Because they're probably not going to be done by the time this thing comes out.
0: I I think you underestimate the amount of binge listening there is of historians, Jay Fisher.
1: It's not about, about, about a binge. I mean, unless people are listening it on two times speed, and in which case, how dare you? My voice probably sounds terrible on two times speed.
0: Wow, we found the one combination where Jay has a terrible voice. So I like that combination <laughs> because I am so goddamn sick of listening to every Reddit thread talking about how yeah, but, Jay Fisher is the greatest voice ever and the other three but are. But here's just the thing. There.
1: Here's here's the thing though with your voice, Mr. High Voice, is that if if my voice sounds terrible on two times speed, like can we even understand a word you say at two times speed? <laughs> no. Or has it gone up to like dog registry at that point?
0: <laughs> it's a it's a dog whistle, yes, yeah, one of those, yes. So, so anyway, steering us back, we, we we left off on heroes versus villains, where Candace was voted out. It was the first part of this two double boot episode, and what we did is us being very nice to our listeners as we stopped there because this Danielle boot coming up is super important, and we all had a ton of stuff to say about it, and we didn't want to rush. And that's mostly Jay, because Jay's very wordy. So are you ready for to discuss Danielle here?
1: Yeah, here it is. Danielle is a contestant on Survivor Heroes versus Villains.
2: That was worth the one month wait.
1: <laughs> and you said it in such a sexy,
0: dry-voiced way as well. That was, that was infuriating.
2: Sexy and dry that... do not belong in the same sentence, by the way. They're like antonyms.
1: That promo right there? That's dry. <sighs>
2: I mean, to Mario's point, though, this is a really, you know, I, I kind of feel bad that we cram both the Candace and Danielle stuff in one episode because I feel like the Danielle stuff could almost earn an entire episode on its own. I, I know it's only like two days, I think, in real time. But what's so interesting about this is, you know, I think we spoke about, especially in post-merge, how Russell's game is falling apart once he meets the heroes and they really have no regard for him. But this, to be quite honest, and this is saying something it's probably the worst Russell Hans has looked in his entire survivor career. It's his behavior and his actions in the course of this episode when he's able to reduce one of his closest allies to tears and then vote her out.
1: I mean, for lack of a better word, Mike, and, and we're going to get into this. This is to me, you know, when we've talked about Russell, when a lot of people talk about Russell on podcasts, especially because we're his, survivor historians, you know, this was a television show that we saw many, many years ago now from where we're talking now. And so Russell was this character and we've had perspective and time and 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 the gift of, all of that to kind of perspectivize everything that we sort of saw with Russell. And then we've seen subsequent things and we, we, we've seen all this sort of fallout, this, that the other. And so we have all this time, but it's something that we cannot stress enough is that even though there were some people that were anti Russell or negative Russell during this Samoa and heroes versus villains run, I think it's fair to point out that the majority of survivor watchers were, they liked Russell or maybe not not liked him but you know we're rooting for him thought he was great you know that there was there was this this very nice sort of bandwagon that people had that they were riding the russell bandwagon kind of thing and 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 i was kind of riding it a little bit too i'm not going to sit here and and lie and say i wasn't but this danielle vote this thing that happens right now this is when this is when rooting for russell stopped being fun
0: (laughs) yeah it's really hard to defend russell after this vote and it's It's interesting because to this day, you'll still see a lot of people say, oh, he he should have won. He was a great player. And I'm like, maybe you can make that argument in Samoa. I don't know how anybody can make that argument in Heroes versus Villains, because like Jay said, this is the moment where Russell is no longer charming and fun. He is just straight up asshole like this is I I would love to hear feedback from people. Is there anyone who can defend Russell as a player after this episode?
3: I just want to quote that he is straight up asshole. (laughs) <laughs> straight up asshole. Yeah, I just, I just came back from Japan. That's how my that friends is, talk there. That is so perfect. <laughs> okay, and accurate. So, it's so true. That, I mean, this is where it's it's very hard to – if if you're still on the wrestle bandwagon by the end of Heroes versus Villains, you also are straight up asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: So anyway, we are about to del- – we're going to walk through the last couple episodes. I think it's only like three, three and a half episodes here. So we will finish off the season where Sandra wins – where Russell is embarrassed and humiliated and where we get the legend of the woman who many people thought should have won the season. And it was a travesty that she did not win at the end. And of course I can only be talking about Jerry and then I'll point out Parvati is here too.
1: Oh, I was, I thought you were talking about Danielle. Oh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes. So anyway, so the Parvati fans I'm sure already hate me, but we'll, we'll get to that. So anyway, so, so Candace has just been voted out and Russell is mad Because the vote last night should have been a Rupert and Colby split. And two things happened last night. Rupert took a rock and put it in me pocket. And that kind of confused the thing. But then the girls didn't like Candace. Again, the, the old stereotype that the females do not like Candace because she's shady. So they all went basically over Russell's head, which again, not hard to do. They went over his head and they all voted out Candace and Rupert or, uh, and Russell is furious. So this is the day after the Candace vote. He's furious at the girls, Jerry, Candace and Parvati or uh, Jerry, Daniel and Parvati were all teaming up. He's mad. He's losing it. And this is basically the Russell temper tantrum episode.
2: Yeah, and I said it last episode, but I feel like it it needs to be said again. Again, Russell is regarded as, like, this big brain strategist, you know? And I think what often gets glossed over with Russell just as a Survivor character is that he is an emotionally volatile person. It is not very hard to tick off Russell Hance, whether it's something you intentionally do or unintentionally do. And we're going to see... Uh, you know, this episode, next episode especially, when he's just like, Hey, I didn't get paid for the loved ones visit. Great, I'm gonna go to the end with with Rupert and Colby now. He makes decisions on a whim. And I think what the editors really show us in these last few episodes is, yes, it's a lot of Russell, but it shows how one of the reasons why, you know, one of the uh, Achilles heels of his game is that he makes too many deals with people and has to inevitably break them. But that's just because he's so emotionally swayed in the moment that he feels like he does need to make a deal now. And it does make me legitimately wonder, like, when he makes those deals in the moment, you know, when he says, all right, I'm going to go for Danielle, then... Like, does he actually mean it, or is it just his emotions influencing him in that moment, and he sort of, like, wakes up hungover the next day and realizes, like, crap, what mistakes have I made?
1: I'm going to talk about something, and I was going to save it for a little bit later, but, you know, this is this is part five. Let's let it all hang out, you know, right now as it is. And that is the phrase that we have sort of vilified Jeff Probst for in the later or more modern seasons of Survivor, and that is the, the phrase, big moves. And we can all probably talk about, you know, you have to make big moves, big moves this, big moves that. And people all have their different definition of what big moves is. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you exactly like what the actual or what the proper definition of big moves is. But in my interpretation, when I hear someone say big moves or you have to make big moves, to me it's just this fact that there is a force within the game of Survivor where it's a, it's a game where you have to vote people out and you need to not be voted out. And so if there's a big groundswell of something, some force, some emotion, some thing that is going to propel the vote to go in some person's direction that isn't you, a lot of people are very happy for that and will piggyback off of that vote. And, you know, a lot of times it comes down to an emotional player playing an emotional game. And if you can somehow predict their emotions and where their emotions are going, or at least can see where their emotions are going to take them and can piggyback votes off of it. It's something that people are going to use. And I think that when we see Russell, it's just there was good framing in the episodes, good good PR and good sort of vibrations around him. But by the same token, he, as, as you said, Mike, he's very volatile. He's making very emotional decisions. And a lot of people just sort of can see that or steering his emotions in a a way. And then those emotions happen. It's not unlike Lil in Pearl Islands with, Mm. you know, she wanted to do a certain thing and then everyone just is like, all right, let's do it that way. And if you want to do something, this is an emotional thing. But if you go all the way back to the first season, Survivor Borneo, we had a wonderful doctor who told us who he was going to vote for. Because of an alphabet strategy, and again, it's not an emotion thing. He's trying to take emotion out of it, but it's still a force within the game that is propelling a vote forward, and everyone just says, that's cool. We'll go with it.
0: You know, one thing I want to point out about Sandra in particular, just big, piggybacking off what you said, is that Sandra is really amazing at one thing I've noticed. is that She knows people are going to have emotional outbursts, and she doesn't care. Like, she's like, this person's going to do an emotional thing, and I'll just sit here and deal with it, whatever, because she's like, by the time the vote comes around, it won't matter, because everyone will think logically again. And it's really interesting to watch Sandra not care about other people's emotions, because she knows by the end they won't be emotional when it matters. And that's a really interesting delineation between her and some other players, like... To pull out poverty again, the poverty's where poverty will continually kind of challenge Russell and mess with him. And she just keeps going with his emotions. Sandra just lets people get their emotions out and doesn't care, which is an interesting thing, because like Jay said, emotions drive almost everything. And then really the key to Survivor is pulling the emotions out of it.
2: Right. And that's, you know, the reason why I wanted to bring all this up is because we come back in the second half of the episode and Russell's, you know, shaking his head at the fact that Candace has gone saying the girls got their heart involved in the game, which, surprise, surprise, is a little (laughs) little hypocritical on his part considering how extremely emotional he's going to come off, especially in the next, like, 15 minutes of footage.
0: Yeah, okay. And I do have to say two things in Russell's defense here, which I know is a horrible way to start a sentence. But... Again, this is the second season in a row Russell's played, so he's probably a bit stir-crazy by now, which I have mm-hmm. to say. And then he also wins immunity in this episode, so he doesn't really care. He, we, right at the start of the episode, or right at the second half of this episode, we did that, pe- that peg puzzle, and he wins. So Russell wins immunity, and so like now he doesn't care. He's not going anywhere, so he can kind of go full Russell at this point, and there's no, you know, for his mind, there's no, nothing bad will come on him because of it, because he's, he's vote-offless. All right, so we basically have Russell against all the girls here, and uh, this is where he goes to Danielle and Parvati, and this is the scene, very infamous, and some would say this really sinks Parvati's game, this absolutely sinks Danielle's game, where he's like, these two are too close, I don't like it, I hate it, and he's like, it's just supposed to be me and Parvati, Danielle's not supposed to be here in our little three-way. And so he his plan is to break up his couple, the couple of Parvati and Danielle by instigating a fight between them. And this is where it's where import, it's important to point out right here that Parvati and Danielle are apparently very close. One of the closest bonds in the game, probably. And Russell starts all this crap, you know, Danielle wants you out, Parvati. And poverty's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. He's like, yeah, but it, it, that's what she's saying. And you better not talk to her. You're getting voted out next. And poverty's like, no, that's not the way it works. And so it just, it's just—it's this really ham-fisted way of starting a feud, and it's just kind of almost embarrassing to watch how how quickly it goes downhill for everybody.
3: I love how his line, his response is always, "You're next. Well, you'll be next." <laughs> And it's funny in the scene that we hear like first with poverty, then we hear this again from Jerry when when confronted with this that their responses are like, "Well, how? Like, why? Like, <laughs> like, can you explain yourself?" Like he's like,
2: "Ah, oh, shit,
3: I forgot. I have to explain myself."
1: Well, yeah, but that that's just you know that's the only threat you can do in Survivor. Like the the only ultimate bad thing that can happen in Survivor is that you get voted out, right? So if you're going to threaten someone with something, it's not, well, I'll tell this or I'll, you know, maybe I won't take you on the reward challenge blah, 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 It's I will throw you out. And we all, you know, sort of made fun, you know, in the previous season when, you know, Russell is, is telling, you know, Natalie going to put her on the jury, you know, a, at the end of the game. But it's like, you know, we, you know, first of all, Hey, sleep deprivation and all that sort of stuff on the Island, you know, in some sort of Russell's defense, but all he's trying to do is, is levy a threat, right? And it's like, that's the threat, you know? So there it is.
2: It's so interesting because it also feels, though, like Russell is obviously a very good liar, I would say. And I think that for some reason he, especially when he approaches Danielle, he needs to get her for some reason to actually say verbatim, we should go after Parvati. So he can then take that information and run back to Parvati. So he, like, sits down to Danielle and is really trying to needle information out of her. Of like, ah, hey, you know, Parvati is uh, really going to beat us both in the end if we go to the final three. And Danielle's like... Uh, you know what? It's not the time. You know, I really trust you. You're a great ally of mine. And so Russell just has to immediately go to Parvati and be like, oh, Danielle came up to me with the, waving her arms in the air saying that we have to get rid of Parvati now. And like you said, I just let Parvati's completely like no, you know, no selling Russell coming at her right now. of just like, why would she want to do that? Like, you were making absolutely no logical sense and providing no follow up whatsoever I mean, for what it's worth, Russell does sort of make things work by rallying together a bunch of different votes. But I guess it still begs the question of why did he feel like he needed to do it now?
0: Yeah, it's again, Russell is very impulsive, very driven by his emotions. But again, like, like, like you guys are hinting, his whole strategy depends on everyone else being an idiot. Like, you can, you're not allowed to talk to her. Why not? Because like, well, I would like to go talk to her. No, you'll be next.
1: So it's, it's well it's not about being an idiot but I think in his defense you know where you know he has shined or shone or shone or however you want to say the past tense of that uh, in a lot of ways basically because he has played a lot of his game in Samoa and you know in a lot of ways in heroes versus villains especially at the beginning on the back foot right you know he mm-hmm. he's been in an alliance that has been in the minority And he's had to find idols and he's had to try to swing large groups of people over or one person. There's there's been a a fact of like, okay, I've got a core of people who are we are bound together because of circumstance. You know, if we split up, then we're basically done. So then we all have to stick together and we need to get a couple other people over to our side. And that works with a decent amount of numbers involved, because if you sort of try to instigate arguments. I mean, Sesternino did this when he was on the show or he tried to at least, you know, you just you try to get people talking and you try to get rumor to kind of spread and then people kind of go. And, you know, rumors can very easily get squashed if one person directly goes up to the other and said, this person said this thing. Did you say this thing? And they say, no, I said this thing. They said this thing. Did you say this thing? No, I did not. And things can get very easily squashed if the two people come and talk to each other. That happens less when there are a lot of people around. You know, because, you know, you've got other people talking in your ear and, you know, other people are corroborating things. So then you're usually not going to cut through the crap and go exactly to the one person over there. But when you don't have a ton of people around and Russell's got this alliance of him, Parvati and Danielle and also Jerry, and it's just him and Parvati and Danielle talking. It's just the three of them. And he's trying to get the other two to fight with each other. Like there's no other person to corroborate or go to or talk to. The only other person that they can talk to is each other.
2: Mm. Well, not only that, but, like, he wants to be the conduit, right? And that's the thing. Like, maybe he, it, in another world he could have, like, partnered up with Jerry or something to help spread this misinformation. But one of the reasons why Russell wanted to do this to begin with, he says this before the immunity challenge of, oh, I feel equally in control with poverty," which worries me. Uh, you know, a lot of—Russell's going to gun for poverty. surprisingly a good number of times before, for some reason, he decides he should take it to the end right before the final three. And I think that, you know, it it really is sort of him wanting to be in that position of leadership, much like it sort of was his uh, dick-measuring contest with Boston Rob during the pre-merge, even though Rob was targeting him as well. But, yeah, I mean, I think Russell's, I guess, intention on paper is interesting as well, of, like, if I vote out Danielle, that brings poverty closer to me. Which, yeah, makes sense. We've seen that happen a good number of times in Survivor. But you should also treat the person you want to bring in— with a certain amount of respect, and he does not do that with Parvey, to the point of where, like, Parvey's saying, don't yell at me, Russell. Russell says, I can't believe you're thinking like that, and she responds, like, thinking like what? Like, I want to have a fucking conversation with somebody? Like, he, in trying to, I think, you know, really sow his seeds of, uh, of you know, uh, paranoia between these two allies, he's really trying to piss off Danielle and Parvey with each other, but he's actually really ticking off this one person that he swears is going to be in his pocket once he votes off
3: Danielle.
0: Yeah. And that's a good point, because I I don't think a lot of people remember if they haven't watched the season recently that Russell and Poverty are not together all the way to the end. There's a big divorce here and they finally come together right at the end because they have to. But it is not a smooth sailing ship at all. Okay, so let's let's go to the scene. One of my favorite underrated scenes in this season, which (laughs) always makes me laugh. I wrote it in my notes here where (laughs) Russell is so mad that Parvati and Danielle are not agreeing to his plan and are are like they're not listening to him. They're not bowing to his whims. Now he's going to go to the heroes and he's going to pull in the heroes into a three way alliance. And the only heroes left are Colby and Rupert. So. (laughs) Russell goes to the heroes and says, we need to team up against Danielle and Poverty." <laughs> and Colby's like, really? Really? <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> here we go. This is the scene that always makes me laugh. <laughs> Russell's like, I got another plan. The three of us team together. We vote out Danielle. And Rupert just says, yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> clearly yeah, they have a really good not? working relationship up to this point. Mean, it's such a, a natural conversation they have there. They clearly... Yeah, they have a good relationship up to this point.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And I love Colby sort of, again, like, he's – I guess he's sort of the everyman this season between maybe his uh, lack of stalwart athleticism compared to his previous appearances and just his reactions to all the insanity that's going on on this beach. His really just gets me every single time. Like, is this – like, this is great, but is this really happening? And then we also get uh, Russell going to Jerry. And it's like you talked about before, Paul. It's Russell saying, like, I want Danielle gone tonight. And Jerry's like, no, I think we should get rid of Rupert. You know, it's too early. He goes, bad move. You're going to be next. And then he just walks away. <laughs> He's like, too late. So does he I, – I kind
0: of forget. Does he actually make the final three deal with Rupert and Colby? Here? That's,
2: the, that's the next episode. That's when he doesn't get picked for the yeah. loved one's visit. <laughs> so.
0: Russell is trying to pick the strategy that will result in him having the least amount of success possible, where he's going to go, I don't know. I just love that scene, and Rupert, so excited that something something happened to fall in his lap, that all he can say is, yeah. So, So now we have russell teaming up with the heroes who are just dumbfounded they're like why would russell vote out danielle this makes no sense but they're like yeah well, fuck it why not let's go for it so
1: i mean can, we you, have... can you blame them though
0: of course that's a wonderful position for them they love it yeah. and so basically it's their three votes against danielle and you got jerry danielle and parvati all voting for rupert or whoever and once again is that is sandra she's the split she's the swing vote here no, or is it's, it jerry? No, it's,
2: it's jerry once again uh okay, jerry, so jerry's jerry. like the big swing vote this season between the the boston rob vote and this vote where sandra's like no we got to vote out the heroes like this is a stupid plan and then jerry's the one like i don't know i think russell did did say i was next and then walk away and i think he has a (laughs) couple of good points there
0: i was gonna say to back up paul's point russell made a good point (laughs) voter voter you're next and she's like okay and so it worked so you know more power to russell so, so the vote, in a matter of about two minutes, has now swung around to Danielle for no apparent reason other than Russell has been blue-balled and Parvati's not given him the time of day he thinks he deserves. So now Danielle is the target, and she has no idea what's going on, why this is happening. She's like, it's me, Russell, and Parvati. This is the final three. We've been discussing this since, like, day one. And all of a sudden now she's the target, and she this is where she, like, breaks down First she's furious, and now she's, like, hurt, and then we go to tribal council, and this is where Russell's going to start berating her to the point where he makes her cry, which I should add is right before she goes on to the jury, which is a wonderful way to do jury management.
3: Yeah, but let's not forget here, flash forward to the end, Russell tells the live studio audience that Sandra has no social game. (laughs) Let's just want to kind of just remind us of that.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so this is – I mean, this is a big problem since, you know, it starts with essentially like, hey, here's – Parvati and Danielle flat out say Russell's trying to piss against each other. And Russell just goes into flat out denial mode and just gets completely bricked every time by Danielle here. Russell is basically stonewalling Danielle at a certain point saying like, Danielle knows where my loyalties lie, and that's with Parvati. And she responds like, and me! I'm part of this alliance! What's going on? And – At a certain point, Danielle, like you said, just starts breaking down, saying, like, I didn't do anything to make Russell feel like he needs to trust me. Like, what the hell changed? And to be like, I feel for her in this moment, like you said, like, I think the exhaustion is really getting to everybody. She says she's an absolute wreck at this point, even though uh, JT, you know, just gives her sort of a boohoo on the jury. She feels like Russell's going after her personally. Uh, And then Russell just responds with, you shouldn't put this all on me. But literally, this is all on you. This is literally—you did every single thing to make this happen. And I guess it's good gameplay to try to, like, shrug it off and try to get the blood off your hands. But, like, everybody, including the jury right now, is seeing exactly what you do to even your closest people.
0: Yeah, and this, of course, backs up the old argument that Russell plays to get to the end. He doesn't play to win. And this, I think, would always be Exhibit A in my case, which obviously I have presented a case that is sitting out there if anybody wants to read it, funny115.com. But uh, yeah, this is the Exhibit A where Russell seems to have no care whatsoever that Danielle is going to be humiliated, made to cry, and then put on the jury while she will now determine his fate. It's like he doesn't care about that or he doesn't think she will take it personally, which anybody who knows anything about human nature – could watch the scene and say, Danielle will probably take this personally, but he doesn't seem to care or think that she will. So it's really very telling of how Russell plays Survivor. This scene right here, I think, pretty much encapsulates everything he does on Survivor.
2: Well, let's, let's also say that even though, again, it's quote-unquote all on Russell, Danielle is not squeaky clean here. There is one point where in this tribal council, you know, uh, I think Danielle tells Russell, I'm closer to poverty than you think. And if the thesis you're trying to put out, especially in Russell's head, is, listen, it's the three of us, not me and Parvati and you as a third wheel, saying that almost completely negates your argument. So it's not to say that, like, Russell walked in with, like, the correct move to make, but maybe from a certain perspective, Daniel, like, forced his hand in a way or served as, like, confirmation bias for him that, oh, yeah, I guess maybe I should have been fearful about it all along, and that's why she needs to go tonight.
0: Yeah,
1: but uh, I, said, that, I go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is, is, is piggybacking on that actually in the sense of, I think that you hit it right, Mike. And that's where I think a lot of, um, you know, uh, disassociation or not disassociation, but a lot of like confusion comes, you know, especially when we talk about a, a, a player slash character that the like Russell in the sense that I think you're right. I think that given that they were going to vote out Danielle at tribal council, and Danielle with her response and the way she reacted at tribal council, like I can't find a ton of fault. Like, yes, you know, maybe we all can act more like Todd or, or Chris or, or some, you know, person in the past that was very good at, you know, smoothing things over. But I think that for the most part, you can look at sort of how Russell is reacting to Danielle at tribal council and going, I'm, you know, I might've done it sort of the same way in that sense. It's just more along the lines of why are we voting around in the first place? But that goes back to the whole, I have made a decision, this is my decision, I am going with my decision. And it's that, you know, not, not necessarily a, a, something indicative of him, but it's indicative of a lot of people that go on Survivor. They have that very alpha-like personality of, like, I make a decision, it is the right one.
0: And I I do want to defend Danielle a little bit because, as Mike said, she does make that mistake of saying, you know, I'm closer to poverty than you think. And we get poverty doing a great oh shit look and Russell going, oh, really? But that's after like an entire day of Russell berating her and making her feel tiny. So she's just trying to get back at him. So it's like, yeah, she says that, but I can't imagine she would have said that had she not been put on the spot for like an entire day by this
1: asshole. Which which again goes back to my, it goes back to my whole point of there's a force that happens, right? And this time it's Russell has the force of wanting to vote out Danielle. He's got Colby and uh, and Rupert on board because, you know, they're dead in the water. And so, hey, it's not them. And it goes, yeah, and all this sort of stuff. And so now the force has happened. And it probably shouldn't have in a lot of people's like this is not going to be good for Russell's game in the long term. This is not obviously good for Danielle's game because she's going to get voted out. Parvey is probably not going to escape this looking super great. Like the only people that can sort of escape this somewhat decently other than Rupert and Colby, who are never going to get to the end anyway, are Jerry and Sandra, you know, And, and, and so it's just one of those you know forces that's happening and it was put in place because somebody wanted to make a decision
2: right so, so so it's almost like akin to like the first vote of any season right we always go back to uh the rudy commentary from all stars of like you just throw a name out and people want to go with it they almost adopt the as long as it ain't me strategy and i guess this proves that sometimes even in the late game of survivor it can work just as easily where it's like hey russell uh, is the one that's really the most vocal and he wants to go for this person not me at this and It helps cripple him a bit. Hell, I'll vote for her.
0: <laughs> and I believe Jay made a really good point in the last episode, part four. I'm trying to remember who said it. But he said that if Danielle had been a bigger name character, or if people like Danielle more, like, she was always the one. Like, why is she even in this cast? So she was, from day one, she kind of had a handicap against her. If Danielle had been a bigger name character, like, she'd been Ceree or Courtney Yates, or Sandra, or Jerry, and this happened to them, this would be, like, one of the most infamous Survivor episodes ever. So it's always kind of sad that, you know, people kind of forget it because Danielle wasn't really that much of a fan favorite. But, like, this episode and this moment should be better remembered in Survivor history. So I just want to stick up for Danielle a little bit and say this moment right here was especially horrible, I think.
3: Well, and it's hard to share an episode with Candace with a star that great. It's yeah, kind it, of hard.
2: It is really interesting that, yeah, I think the two biggest question marks on this cast end up going out back to back. It's almost like the Survivor gods are at work here. <laughs> yeah,
0: but uh, but yeah, well, I mean, what do, what do you guys think about that? Should this episode be better remembered as some huge, infamous Survivor talking point?
2: Well, I I wanted to bring that up because I, I want to talk about Danielle's edit in general, and one of the things. I personally feel like there aren't many things that All-Stars has above Heroes versus Villains in terms of, like, quality all-returnee seasons. But one thing I will give All-Stars credit for is that I feel like it's one of the most evenly edited seasons of Survivor ever. You know, say what you want to about the cast and the quality of them, but we got to see all of them, and we got to see their stories play out. Unfortunately, whether it's due to the size of the cast, the more modern editing styles, or maybe the focus around bigger characters like Russell and Rupert, I feel like we got three really, you know, notable people who just were not seen on this season at all. One was Tyson, one was Courtney, and one was Danielle. And I feel probably the worst for Danielle. I know that Courtney and Tyson provide entertainment, but as we found out these past, you know, uh, as we talked about in this past segment, Danielle was a pretty major figure in that underdog villains alliance. And, you know, if she was in the final three— I don't know how well of a chance she would do, but you know she was a key figurehead in that alliance. And I guess in retrospect, maybe we look at you know why Russell and Parvati got so much content over Danielle is because they knew that those two would make the end and she wouldn't. But I always kind of feel for Danielle from an airtime perspective here, where honestly, outside of the cat fight with Amanda, do we really remember anything she did this season?
0: No, just that and this, that's it.
1: But to your point, Mario... The thing about heroes versus villains to me, and, and, and it's the problem I feel in a lot of ways with the more the, the later we go in Survivor, maybe it's because I, I like the earlier seasons better or something like that. But there's lots of moments, like especially in something like Pearl Islands, right, where you've got like the outcast twist happening with the vote and then like, you know, you know, Burton. And then you got like Rupert with the stupid snake. And then you've got like, you know, uh, uh, you know, the dead grandma. You've got like all these like moments Right. So it's like Pearl Islands had, you know, these great characters and this fun sort of story that happened. But even when, you know, maybe the votes get a little predictable or some some sort of things happen, you have these like fun moments, like the moment, you know, in the uh, the first episode where they're dropped off in the village, getting supplies, stole stealing for the Drake. Like there are these just moments that you can say. And in Heroes versus Villains, what's the moment? JT's letter is a moment. And, you know, obviously the first episode we've got, you know, some some things going on there. But like there's just stuff that's happening. And and especially sort of in, in this era, like we can sort of talk or in this this stretch of episodes where we're talking about like gearing up for the endgame. But there's no like big stark sort of moment that's happening except right now. And I would argue that one of the biggest moments of the entire season of Heroes vs. Villains is this Danielle Vodov. But I think you're right. I think that because it's Danielle... And because we were all kind of rooting for Russell a little bit, and this is obviously not very good for him in the long run, we sort of downplay it in a lot of ways. And I think that that's wrong, because I think that when I think back of heroes versus villains and I think of, like, moments, this is one of them. And this is actually one of the first ones that I think of.
0: Do you know how much hate mail you're going to get for not including Parvati's double idol play in a great moment?
1: It is a great moment. i'm sorry
0: yeah please address these to jay fisher and not mario lanza this time i would like to (laughs) specify that
1: well here's the thing i'm not also not spending most of my time bad-mouthing poverty like you are so there's that
0: (laughs) no it's i I agree with you this to me this is the defining moment in the season and again that's why not everyone watches survivor like i do not everyone watches survivor like jay does like that we don't don't plays tend not to resonate with us as being that big a deal. Like to that's that's not to me that's not really Survivor. It kind of gets in the way of Survivor. But this one right here, this is, as we would say earlier in the podcast, this is straight up asshole. Where <laughs> yeah, but
3: yeah, nice this is quoting yourself.
0: I'm quoting myself. Yeah, I'm doing a Michael Scott with Wayne Gretzky here. <laughs> but yeah, this is the moment, and I would agree with Jay. This is the defining moment of the season to me, and it's Again, a kind of a shame that it doesn't get talked about because, again, it's Danielle. Like, who cares?
2: Well, and it's also, I think, because of the falling action from it, I think, you know, people look at a season like Heroes vs. Villains, specifically the post-merge, and they say, okay, with the exception of Danielle, it's a hero's pogonging. You know, what happened to the exciting pre-merge? But at least I was surprised a bit in reinvestigating some of these post-merge episodes about how There's a lot going on here. I mean, it's mainly about, like, Russell just running everywhere and coming up with plan A, B, C, D that all contradict one another. But, yeah, it is a little weird how, you know, you think Danielle's gone, that means, okay, the game has completely changed. But for what it's worth, we do lose Heroes the next two votes. So I feel like, you know, maybe while those other moments might have had, like, big ramifications from it, this one, at least in the immediate future, doesn't necessarily have that.
0: Yeah. Well, all that happens is we lose Danielle and we replace her with Jerry, really.
1: Yeah. But I think I was going to say, I think that this, though, this is I I think we're going to breeze through a lot of the next couple of votes and and sort of get to the end here and whatnot. And and I'm not jumping the gun too much, but I, I think that. For lack of a better word, like you said, not just defining moment of the season, this is the turn. And I think that when you really examine the season and after Danielle gets voted out, you can sort of look at it and go, there's probably a very low chance that Russell and Parvati win this game because of the move that has happened, especially Russell. And so then you're sort of looking at, like, well, who's going to be left? Like Danielle gets voted out. And you're like, well, it's probably not going to be Rupert and Colby. So then you're just looking at Jerry. And that's why we sort of look at Jerry for a while. And then You know, so a lot of my focus in these last couple of episodes is, is Jerry actually going to win this game? And then when Jerry gets voted out, it's like, well, who's is they're not going to vote for Sandra to win twice, are are they? But but the other two can't win it. Wait, what is and so like it created this sort of like question mark at the end. But all of that question mark and all of that storyline just happens right here where you're like, oh, this happened. Oh, Russell, oh, poverty. this is not good.
0: (laughs) It's like a magic trick. The first half of the season is the pledge. This is the turn, and the end is the prestige. The prestige will be much different than the turn. So oh, God. Just, uh... Please
2: don't tell me there are two Russells.
1: <laughs> there's, there's two Russells. I, I wanted to say there's... it was the turn, and I was I was thinking cards, right? Like, you know, in poker. But I'm like, uh-huh. the turn is the fourth card being dropped down. And I'm like, is that – oh, it's the prestige. Like, why? I was wondering why that was in my head.
0: <laughs> yes. Now, Paul, I haven't heard you weigh in. What, I'm curious on your thoughts on this one, on this episode. Like, did this – like the first time you saw this episode, did it resonate with you? And like on repeated viewings, what are your thoughts on this episode?
3: I honestly think if it just – if it honestly wasn't split um, with the Candace episode, I think it would stand out more because I think like you guys were saying the moment is super important. And I almost think for pacing-wise, if there was a way you could get this to be the next episode and kind of the Rupert vote yada yada was was previously, um, I think it would have had a bigger bang because it just kind of gets you know squished in here. Um, in this middle half episode. But yeah, I think it's super important. And I think it's one that I, th- I think people do forget about a lot because I think it it really kind of, you know, defines how the rest of the game is going to play out once you re- remove Danielle from the picture.
2: Well, come to think of it, it's actually really interesting because this is obviously the second time in a row that they did these two boots in one episode without it being a double tribal council. And let's remember that we talked about how the second half of that version in Samoa was also pretty significant because that was when Monica Padilla just laid into Russell. Mm -hmm. And, you know, called out his game in front of the jury. And that was also a bit of a turn where I think now looking back, you start to see like, okay, now we're starting to see what these people might have thought about Russell and the way he was treating people and how, you know, that social play is going to affect how they ultimately view his strategy. So I guess we're oddly enough two for two in the second half of these double boot (laughs) episodes actually being pretty significant to the end game.
0: And I will say if you've ever wanted to sum up Russell's social game and strategic game in one sentence— It would be the one that Parvati says at the very end of the episode here, where after Danielle is voted off and crying and she leaves and is humiliated, Parvati just looks at Russell and says, that's messed up. Mm. So there you go. Sums up Russell nicely.
2: And she's the one that apparently read the letter to all the heroes, right?
0: <laughs> what? I, I didn't say that. Nah, not my words. <laughs> but yes. But yeah, so Parvati is aware now that Russell is perhaps a little destructive and will cross lines that she will not cross and most players will not. So that is Danielle's legacy. She is sent out to go to the jury, ostensibly poison the jury against Russell which you know she's going to do because she fucking hates his guts right now. So Russell is in a very dicey spot of him having any chance to win this game at this point. But it's okay, because the next two episodes, we got to lose some heroes.
2: Yeah, I mean, even Parvati is going to vocalize it. She's like, I, like Russell is the biggest villain the game has ever seen, but I know I have to be nice to him because we have to get rid of Rupert and Colby. So I guess, interestingly enough, like Russell almost created Shields. Uh, In front of him, where in any other situation, I think that they would immediately get retribution. And considering that you still have people like Sandra, who, you know, is ready to get rid of him from the get-go, and you even have Rupert and Colby who are just doing anything to survive, uh, that Russell could be a very easy target. But it does seem like she still is dedicated to getting out those two heroes, because it does seem that those are the two biggest jury threats at the moment. And with the jury final tribal council looming closer and closer, uh, you want to really consider that and make sure that at least one doesn't slip through to the final three.
0: Yeah, and this is very much something that the Survivor players have said repeatedly over the years, and it is stated here in this season, but fans online tend not to uh, count this as much, where if you have friends on the jury, it's a very dangerous thing because people tend to vote for the people they like. And not so much who was, like, the best player, who the best strategist was, who had the moves. It's really who are they most comfortable losing to. And Colby and Rupert still hanging in there. Again, to fans who most, you know, people on the Internet will talk about the season, they're like, oh, it would be embarrassing if Colby or Rupert won. No way those two would have won. I don't know if that's necessarily true because all their friends are over on the jury and they all hate Russell and his pack, like, equally. So this is where, yeah, Danielle or uh, Parvati and Jerry – are now furious after this vote because Rupert or Russell has now teamed up with the heroes, and Russell seems to want to take these heroes to the end, and they are aghast that Russell would be that stupid. They're like, we cannot let Colby or Rupert, of all people, maybe two of the most popular survivors ever, they cannot be allowed anywhere near that final three. This is asinine, yet Russell seems to be wanting to do that. So this is where the girls all start banding together again, and they're like, Russell is horrible. He's going to ruin this for all of us. We can't let that happen.
3: It is interesting to note that um like you know in survivor and in reality t v and I guess just in entertainment in general, there is this notion to root for an underdog situation, mm-hmm. but the narrative of this season we have, like you said, two of the most popular survivors that ever existed in the early days are like the two in this um underdog situation, and no one really cares, like <laughs> no one really wants them to overtake the villains like. It's just kind of a weird, you know, kind of a weird reality that uh, ends up playing out there. But I have a feeling had one of them made it to the end and you know, might have won, we may have been uh, seeing things through a little bit of a different lens.
2: Yeah, that's that's the thing is like, I don't know, had Rupert won this season, I felt like we would have seen a lot more stuff than, you know, from what we saw in like the Amanda Boot episode when he's like, I, I told them not to do this, I can't believe it, where it's like, oh no, Rupert just chose the wrong people to be in an alliance with, but he was able to overcome the odds and win, like, it would probably be more of like a Mike Holloway situation of like, yeah, he made a couple of mistakes, but then he was able to really rally and, you know, prevail against some of the most evil people to play Survivor.
0: Yeah, the edit changes 100% if Rupert wins, and I, I'm just picturing if there was like a deleted scene we never saw, or Parvati's going to Russell and she's like, you cannot let Rupert into the final three. And Russell's like, he's a dumbass. What has he ever done? She's like, he's fucking Rupert. You cannot put Rupert. No, he ain't done shit. She's like, have you watched Survivor ever, Russell? (laughs) So I can just imagine there was a conversation.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, for what it's worth, though, I mean, Parvati, as we said, like, seems to be back with the villains. So, in theory, that would be something that Russell's happy about. But no... Uh, Russell, you know, poverty goes to the villains and is like, "Okay, you know, I, I feel a little in danger because we just got rid of Danielle, but I just want to let you all know that I'm still solid with you." And Russell's actually a little offended that she feels like she's in danger, and this confirms for him, in his opinion, that oh, this confirms that she was on a team with Danielle. And add on to that the fact that he is not going to go to the the blowholes with uh, her, and this <laughs> is when again. I mean, I guess it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy where, yes, Russell actually is going to start targeting Parvati in this episode. (laughs)
1: I mean, I want to end this episode just like everyone here, but can we talk about the family and the loved ones? Let's do oh, it.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. Okay, let me – I'll paint the picture for people.
1: If you <laughs> haven't watched this
0: episode, yeah, I'm dying to talk about this. So there's six players left in the game. We have theoretically four villains. Uh, we got Parvati, Russell, Sandra, and Jerry. you got the two heroes, Rupert and Colby. And it is time for the family visit which is a funny 115 favorite, one of my favorite scenes of the season, where first they get to read messages from their loved ones on the Sprint Palm Pre.
2: Oh, my God. And what I love about that, too, was when they showed off, like, I think they were trying to show off, like, all the features you can use, but it seemed like it was advertising just how tedious it is to get to certain things of, like, (laughs) go to your text message, and now you have to go all the way over to your videos and then check the notes on your phone, like, I get it was supposed to highlight accessories, but it's more so saying like, look, all the things you have to do on your phone, uh, the inconveniences that are set up by the Sprint sprint Palm Pre.
0: Yes. So they all get a little message from their loved ones. And what do we have? We have Parvati's dad, Sandra's uncle, Russell's wife, Jerry's sister. Hey, guess what? Rupert's wife, Laura, is here again. And then my favorite, Colby's brother, Reed. (laughs) We will have a lot of fun with so what what is the challenge here they're they're tossing a bucket of water to each other
2: yeah well they're tossing water to each other via buckets uh it's sort of like (laughs) like one
1: one's, one's dipping the bucket in the ocean and then you have to toss the the water from the bucket to the other's bucket who then fills the thing up
2: yeah, and I I can't remember if the bucket has the hole in it, if it's, like, the same thing as the fire and water challenge that Colby won in Australia. But, yeah, basically, I mean, the main component and the hilarity from this challenge comes from the fact that the loved ones are participating and also taking the first leg of the challenge to throw the water to the survivors.
0: Okay, so it's the throwing water on your loved ones challenge, a.k.a. the Wicked Witch of the West Memorial Challenge from Wizard of Oz.
2: Wait, and how did Jerry survive?
0: Yes, <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> so the loved ones are throwing water and oh what's the oil the reward we got to talk about this the reward is they get to go visit the blowholes with their loved one which sounds suspiciously like glory holes which is a horrible way to think about that but so they're going to the blowholes and they're throwing water and this is a wonderful challenge where we learn about the sibling rivalry between colby and his older brother reed <laughs> so
2: good <laughs> and, it's so good if you if you uh, want like a I mean, I don't know. I partially feel for Reed here because it's obvious that, I don't know if he uh, possesses the athletic prowess of his brother, but if he does, it's not going to manifest itself in throwing water. Uh, But, I mean, that's one of the best parts of comedy is, again, he's the one that has to handle throwing the water. Like, Colby has almost no control in this challenge. It's purely Reed that's throwing the water. And I think 30-something days of not living up to expectations with Colby finally boils over here, and it gets taken out on Reed.
1: I think now, that I would, I've been okay. trying to think about this for the past few minutes because we we brought up you brought up Colby earlier in the in the sense that Colby is our everyman in the in this in the season and I was trying to think about that and I think that one of the reasons why Colby is our everyman and why a lot of what he says is like very like oddly resonant on this season of of heroes vs. villains is just the fact that I think that you know we've talked about how Colby was a little checked out this season because it wasn't quite what he wanted it to be and you know you couldn't go anywhere he was very restricted it was not like earlier seasons of survivor that he was on so he was already a little bit checked out and then you know he wasn't doing well athletically but colby is a successful tv guy now like it's not like he's like super duper you know the most mega ultra famous person on planet earth but he's carving out a pretty nice little thing for himself. He's I don't know if he's done it yet or he's going to in a little bit. He's going to become the host of Top Shot at some point. And, you know, it, he's doing OK for himself, you know, and and everything's OK. and And he's used to the cameras on him. And I think that he sort of has that he's no longer thinking of himself as like I'm a character in this game and I'm creating a persona like I think he's so used to just being a figure and being a camera that he's just himself now. And so he's just like approaching all these situations just as him. In this place, and he's just so comfortable with it. And because of that, he's, you know, he's playing this game and obviously he wants to win and and whatnot in the in the in the water throwing challenge. But, you know, he's just playing a game with his brother. And I think that, you know, just the natural frustrations of that are just so genuine in that moment.
0: Yeah, for people who have not watched this scene in a while, we'll, uh, I'll paint the picture again where Reed is throwing water to Colby and the Colbster is not getting the appropriate amount of water he feels he should be getting. So he will start increasingly being more and more angry and frustrated with his brother where he starts screaming at Reed and then, damn it, Reed, and then, god damn it, Reed. And Reed is just giggling and laughing because you get the sense he does this to Colby all the time over the years that Colby maybe takes sports a little too seriously and Reed doesn't. And it's fun to mess with Colby. So Colby has a little meltdown here where he starts screaming at his brother and even probes is laughing. Cause it's not a side we see of Colby all that often.
2: Oh, it's so, it's so fun.
3: <laughs> I, I just like to, I like to think about this and be like, okay, the last reward, um, family visit for heroes versus villains. This is what, It's come down to for Colby. And let's take a look back at the final reward he participated in in Survivor, the Australian Outback. His mom came to visit. He got a new car, shared the moment, blah, blah, blah. Like, whole episode about him and his relationship with his mom. And uh, this is the last kind of, you know, reward and uh, family member interaction we see with Colby. This is what it's devolved to.
1: I also think that there's probably a, a sense of, you know, probably Colby's family looks at survivor not as as life or death as other people do and i think that a lot of times when family members come on survivor they really want to like embrace that moment and not let their their loved one down uh, you know, even if it's just for reward, you know, but sometimes, you know, like like in uh, Vanuatu when they're like doing an immunity challenge with their loved one, like mm. there's different stakes when it's immunity. This is just for reward. And so I think that, you know, obviously I think that, you know, it's, hey, we're, we're gonna try the challenge, you know, maybe we're gonna try to win, we're gonna do this sort of thing. And then clearly they're falling behind and they're not gonna catch up. So now it's just funny.
2: See, this <laughs> is why I personally uh, want to petition that loved ones should participate in every challenge that they visit for especially with modern survivor challenges in the post-merge becoming more about like hey stand in one place and less so about like hey do a bunch of you know obstacle courses it just provides some really fun moments and really fleshes out relationships because like you said like this is a great microcosm of their relationship i'm sure where i'm sure colby has said read talk to me for god's sake at least a handful of times over the course of their <laughs> lives right
0: so Reed is just a troll. That's what I, that's what I get from this. Reed, Reed probably spends most of his life trolling Colby. <laughs> so although to back up what Paul said is that the first challenge, the first time we saw Colby's mom come out and she watches her son shower and this one we have Reed come out and Reed just trolls Colby and they get into a slap fight. Now I'm dying to see a third iteration of Colby on Survivor. I want him to come back where he has another loved one challenge. I'm dying to see which Donaldson relative they trot out, and which kind of interesting relationship uh, dynamic we see the next time.
2: I'd be interested if, like, what, if he has a kid and the kid went out to play, and like how Colby would react as a loved one, you know? like would he get angry at the kid? Would the kid get angry at him?
0: now now that is a character arc people talk about jerry having a wonderful four season story arc i want to see the story arc of colby where now he is the parent and his child is the loved one that would be so amazing
1: oh come on you know that colby's kid's not going to be the first kid that goes on survivor <laughs>
0: it's like, have you seen the show where colby's the butcher he works with the butchers there's a show he's got now where they cut meat and Colby's the host and he's judging all these people on cutting meat. So it'd be hilarious. That's, amazing. Like, yeah, but where <laughs> that's Colby's, amazing. Colby's son, Colby Jr. comes out and the challenge is like cutting a steak properly. And Colby's <laughs> screaming, God damn it, that's a flank, Jr. Come on, beef. <laughs> cut the ribs properly. Come on. <laughs> So, anyway, that is now, as a person who has not missed an episode of Survivor ever, that is now my bucket list item. I want to see Colby's child on Survivor so Colby can yell at him.
1: <laughs> yeah, but what if Colby's kid turns out to be like Salt Bay and, you know, can just like cut meat and, you know, <laughs> be really flashy about it? That'd be great. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, then you can just, Colby can uh, pull up in his Pontiac Aztec and just like watch him and smile drinking coffee like it's a Folgers commercial, like uh, Gay <laughs> Donaldson did once upon a time
1: hey son way to cut way to cut that meat do you want to hang out in uh this truck that's also kind of a tent when you do it properly
0: and then i could watch you shower
1: oh boy go
2: full circle <laughs> so to be fair reed hey. does shower colby here he covers him in water <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay so so one of my personal favorite scenes of the season and indeed in survivor history if you like survivor comedy the reed and colby donaldson slap fight and surprisingly guys colby does not win <laughs> they do,
1: they <laughs> don't does, do well. he does not win he does not win no
0: they lose to Jerry and her sister, Jerry and her sister Jennifer, once again, Jerry flummoxing Colby, ruining his survivor experience.
2: <laughs> I was also trying to remember because we have obviously future contestant Laura Bonham appear for the second time. Does Rupert like get grindy with her like he did back during all stars i can't remember. I
0: don't know, but can you imagine if they were on the reward together, they'd be, like, full-on doing it right there next to the blowhole? <laughs> God damn it, Rupert.
2: Yeah!
3: <laughs> That's an image I could live without. It's um, no longer like a J. I, I, I mean, there there definitely was, I feel like—I'm <laughs> going to keep moving on. Um, I feel like there was some uh, kiss with tongue there, but they did not uh, hover on it for too long, so, uh Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, so so, so so Jerry wins here, and Jerry gets to pick a loved one to go with her. They're going to the blowholes, and Jerry picks Parvati and her dad. And Russell's like, Oh that ain't good. Don't be picking him." And then. He gets to pick, So Jerry gets to pick another, and Jerry picks Sandra and her uncle. So Russell is not picked. He's the last kid picked in the uh, Red Rover here. And so now all the girls, all the villain girls, are going off to the blowholes with their loved ones, and Russell is now stuck back at camp with Rupert and Colby, and Russell immediately says, Oh, she's in trouble now. Jerry's in trouble now. She screwed up. She picked the wrong people. And so now we're going to get some more comedy here. Here we go. We're going to the blowholes, which I know I'm making fun of it, but it's actually a really cool scene where these these the surf comes pounding in against the lava rock and you put coconuts right there in on one of these holes and they go shooting up in the air. It's really this really cool thing. So I'd like to personally see that with my loved one. Probably not my brother, but still, it would be cool. But it's a cool scene because <laughs> they're all feasting and all the girls are having a good time and the girls debate how Russell is so stupid. They're like, he's stupid, he's a bully, but, you know, he's never going to do anything as dumb as teaming up with the heroes and making a Final Three deal. And, like, we literally do a do-do-do-do-do-do, and we go right to Russell making a Final Three deal with the heroes.
2: (laughs) Let's also not gloss over some uh, emotional content from Sandra, because, yeah, you might question, like, why is Sandra's uncle out there? But she reveals that her uncle was essentially like a second father to her. Uh, and she talks about how her mother had died a year and a week ago. And I think she had painted one of her shirts uh, in memory of her mom. So I don't know if Jerry necessarily knew that. And that's the reason why uh, she picked Sandra. But, you know, it was, it was some good content for our winner. We're finding out a lot out about Sandra uh, that we didn't necessarily know about her her first time out this season.
0: Yeah, I agree. Sandra can get character moments too what the
3: fuck
0: <laughs> so do you guys have any comments here about the blowhole scene
3: i think we no. have covered the blowhole enough i think um you know what i i i think that's been done um assholes we co- we co- and co- we've, blowholes. Co- we've covered the blowhole enough okay what's the next hole we're gonna cover
0: <laughs> all right so yeah this scene again it's samoan fireworks straight up blowhole And they all have a fun time. But now the more interesting part of this season is Russell with the the heroes where Russell's like, I'm going to team up with Colby and Rupert and, you know, Rupert. Yeah. And Russell's like, these girls are a bunch of unappreciative little bitches.
2: God (laughs) God damn it.
0: The fan favorite Russell Hans—I should point out, by the way—won the fan favorite vote. But yeah, he's making the most short-sighted, stupid final three deal ever, just because he's mad they didn't pick him, and all hell's going to break loose now.
2: Yeah, this is—I uh, I don't know. What? Which is worse? Is this worse, or was Rupert going to Brett before the immunity challenge to make him promise uh, to, make, to make a final three deal with him worse? Just, I mean, in both situations, he'd lose either way. But I'm just trying to see, like, from his perspective, is it just because he's so paranoid that the the three girls are going to vote him out that he needs to make a counter-alliance right now?
0: I mean, there's always the question, did he mean to follow through with this alliance, or was he just setting them up? Like, even I cannot imagine Russell wandering blindly into a final three vote against Colby and Rupert, of all people. But either way, it just— It's not really defensible other than it's just him doing something because he's bored that day. I don't know. Okay, so Russell has teamed up with the heroes. They have their final three against the villain's final three. And again, remember, there's six people left in the season. So it's Jerry, Sandra and Parvati against these three. And now we get another scene where Rupert is just going to be a straight up uh, (laughs) wood chopper. I guess would be the right term, where everyone's trying to sleep and Rupert decides he's going to stay up late at night or early in the morning, I forget, and just chop and saw wood all night so nobody
2: can sleep, which is a classic Rupert move.
3: (laughs) Again, we're harping on Sandra for poor social game.
2: And I I love this because this reinvigorates the Jerry Rupert feud uh, about camp life, where Jerry just has this great quote where she says, I don't know if it's incredible cockiness or complete stupidity. I'm (laughs) leaning more towards stupidity, quite frankly. Yeah. (laughs) and and didn't didn't james only do this like a few seasons ago too with just like singing good morning and just like i guess the problem is proximity right because rupert's not only breaking wood he's breaking wood literally right next to the shelter
0: well and the other thing that's funny about the scene that's to bash on rupert a little more is that you know you could understand this behavior at the start of the game when they need wood and stuff they're all getting their dynamics down This is like, what, day 32 or something? Like, that's way towards the end of the game. You think Rupert at this point would realize don't do that while people are sleeping, but he's still doing And again, I understand they probably insert this, make sure this shot is prominent in the episode so you understand why Rupert's about to get voted out. But you get the sense Rupert did this all the time. (laughs) Like, this is not really a new behavior. And what happens? Jerry goes to Russell. She's like, I hate Rupert. You shouldn't team up with him. And Russell's like, yeah, let's get back together. So... All of a sudden, the villains are back together, the four, and like, yeah, so much for that final three deal with the heroes. So now Russell not only has antagonized the heroes all game, he just gave them a stupid false final three deal, and then we'll vote them out immediately. So good job, Russell.
2: Wait, are you implying, Mario, that there should be some sort of etiquette to use the wood at certain times among the camp? I I would never think someone would actually try to set up those rules and enforce them.
0: Yes. Yeah, so if you're going to chop wood, you ask anybody else if they'd like to chop wood as well. So, yeah, that he should have done that. He should have asked if Jerry wanted to participate. So it's a
1: good point. Mike. Bloom, thank you. Well, I think that, you know, the, there's a thing. I, I, is it was it sort of implied or, or are you just sort of extrapolating that Rupert got up at, you know, in early time and loudly sawed or chopped wood every day?
0: I would assume that's probably what he did I mean i why would he just start doing that today? That seems like a very Rupert move
1: I mean it does i I don't know either way. I'm just saying there's there's also a part that you know he probably did do chores early i'm not I'm not thinking that you know he he laid in and didn't do any chores he he's a chore-in kind of guy he does he does his chores so that doesn't really surprise me, but maybe the proximity or maybe a little early like you know Rupert is probably getting out some frustrations at some point with something and it's always tough when you have those workers and they're like what i'm just working i'm just providing are you saying
3: that he after having only about 30 seconds with his wife he still had some frustrations he needed to get out because he did not go on the blowhole um reward just a clarifying question (laughs)
1: uh i'm just gonna leave it up to you paul
3: okay thank you
0: Yes, so Rupert, with his pent-up frustrations, is chopping wood and thrusting things into wood and doing all sorts of stuff. Well, and to, yeah. <laughs>
2: to be fair, uh, when Rupert does it, he's at least being productive. When Russell does it, he's making final three alliances that he'll never go forward with. <laughs> yes.
0: So Rupert just trying to look out for the tribe and or blow off some steam and so now the heroes of, or, or the villains are all kind of back together. The heroes are out. And now we go to the immunity challenge. This is the where you hold poles off to the side with your hands. The Crystal Cox Memorial Challenge, even though that was a while ago. But uh, so, yeah, this is one where Colby, everyone laughs at this one because Colby, you know, the hero of all survivor challenges lasts almost 15 seconds. <laughs> He's out immediately. He's out 45 seconds prior to Sandra, which is impressive. And yada yada yada, poverty wins. Although, is this the one, Paul? You're the one. You're the expert here. Is this the one they kind of showed out of sequence, and it was not shown?
3: Yeah, it was. It went. It came down to poverty versus Jerry, um, but they edited it to make it look like it's Rupert for more suspense. And I know Jerry is very upset about that afterwards because she wanted some credit for having uh, been second place in that challenge.
2: I mean, it, it make it makes sense though, because I mean. As much as we might say like oh the villains are all back on board, it seems like Russell does want to get rid of Parvati to the point where he's like yeah I'm back on board with Jerry, but I'm gonna wait to tell her right before Tribal Council because the, the the plan he has at the moment, at least from what he tells us, is going to be the three guys plus Jerry voting out Parvati, uh, and Parvati obviously winning immunity stymies that plan, and this is sort of uh, the moment when you know they decide to come back together and vote out Rupert easy peasy. Until Sandra starts talking with Rupert about how frustrated she is by Russell.
0: Okay, let's get into that. There's a lot of comedy in this episode. So, first off, i got to say, even though Rupert did not finish second in the challenge, he was actually third or fourth, kudos to him for doing that challenge with nine broken toes at this point. So, he did pretty good. (laughs) My toes are all broke. Okay, so, now we go to after the challenge. Parvati has one immunity. She's going to do a nice little immunity run here, by the way, uh, starting with this one. But, uh, so... So it's all basically they want to vote out poverty. Russell and the heroes want to vote out poverty, and there's all sorts of plans we should vote out Rupert. And Sandra, still on her never-ending quest to get Russell out of here, she starts going with the heroes, and she says, let's all vote out Russell tonight. She goes to Rupert and Colby. And Rupert, of course, the master strategist that he is, immediately goes to Russell and says, Sandra wants to vote you out. And so now we get one of the endless showdowns between Russell and Sandra, which will pretty much be the entire story for the rest of the season.
2: Yeah, this is uh, where Russell goes to Sandra and uses that Boston Rob quote, the co-opted quote, Sandra, either you're with me or you're against me. And Sandra responds, I'm against you, Russell.
0: (laughs) It's so perfect for Sandra because she does not care. She's not scared of Russell. She doesn't give a crap. And she's the only person who has ever flat out, rebuffed him and only rebuffed him in his own words really (laughs) you with me or against me Uh, i'm against you i guess (laughs) so she so russell doesn't really know what to do and so (laughs) sandra goes to rupert now and of course with her military background she drops the military line on rupert rupert loose lips sink ships why the hell would you tell russell i wanted to vote him out and uh, this is where parvati and now Parvati, who has lost all faith or credit or respect for Russell, starts mocking Russell, laughing that he's trying to threaten Sandra. And she's like, who invited Boston Rob back here? What the hell, Russell? And so Russell is just all, He's spinning around in a circle just being mad because they're all mocking him. And he's like, y'all being stupid.
2: Yeah, y'all on something? Y'all drinking over there? You're being dumb.
0: <laughs> I'll vote all five of you out tonight. I'm going to vote for five people.
2: No, but the best part about that loose lips sink ships, uh, besides the fact this is like the third episode in a row that's titled about something with a ship, is that Sandra says, Rupert loose lips sink ships, and Rupert responds, Yes, they do. And Sandra goes, And yes, they did. Uh, and you can tell, like, Sandra made it very clear to Rupert like yeah you fucked up uh, because once again much like we talked about with Russell I can understand Rupert as a last ditch effort just sort of like trying to pit people against each other in any way because he knows he's on the chopping block I think I think he said last episode like a rock in, in me pocket is not gonna be able to help me survive this time but with as Jay said with so few people left it very easily came back onto him. And I think that pretty much was like the final nail in his coffin, considering the person who was most willing to work with him is now going to do anything but because you sold her down the river.
0: And I should point out our young friend Paul Oslison once won a Sandra impersonation contest, and I'm sure this scene was a large part of your repertoire, correct?
3: Well, no, but the thing is, I actually won the contest going into Heroes vs. Villains, so oh. I didn't even have this material to work with. That's how impressive it is.
0: Wow, that's amazing. I didn't realize the timeline. Okay, so yeah. so this is a lot. Again, a lot of people say Sandra should not have won Heroes versus Villains. I mean, I don't... Well, I guess I'll have plenty to say to that at the end. But, like, the last two episodes are all Sandra highlight reel here. It's just they're totally building her up to the point, I don't know if you guys paid attention, the last episode is, like, 100% Sandra confessionals almost. And it's yeah. really interesting. Like, it all starts here where the first time somebody has really stood up to Russell and mocked him to his face. And not only that, she then gives him the finger, which is hilarious, that Sandra's now giving the finger to Russell, saying, your time is over, fuck you.
2: Because let, let's remember that about, you know, three days from now, Russell's going to take Sandra to the end after she flipped him off and said like, oh, I, I hate you. I don't want to yeah. go to the end with you.
0: Yeah, so the Sandra highlight reel is just starting. And again, she only really has about three episodes in the season, maybe four. It's really... I'd personally argue they did her dirty. They never really gave her the spotlight she needed. But she really does have a great spotlight the last two episodes, and it all starts here. And now she says, you know, she has this idol she had last episode, and she's like, I got this idol. I don't even need to play it. I'm so confident. I'm not going home tonight. Nothing going to happen to me. I'm just going to keep it. I'm that cocky. And so this is, we're just going to get all Sandra highlight reels here. Now we're going to go to tribal council. And again, Rupert's going to get voted out, blah, blah, blah. But this is will again, once again, be the Sandra highlight show. All right. So this is at tribal council. I believe this is where it, it, it gets brought up that somebody told Russell they were actually against him and Parvati admiringly does an impression of sandra she's like it was so cool like sandra stood up to russell she's like i'm against you <laughs> and so everyone's laughing and they're all just again the players probes and the jury are like openly laughing at russell at this point <laughs> and now just to drive the point home sandra plays her idol which she doesn't even need to and not only that but russell didn't even know she had one So she plays the idol. She walks up to her little Superman pose and Russell's like, wow, she's bad. It's like this is literally the passing of the torch in the season. And anybody who doesn't see that Sandra win coming after this season, I got to say, is kind of blind because it's really obvious to me when you watch it. They are 100 percent selling Sandra as the hero here.
2: I mean, it's a a great penultimate episode for her, and I love – even before that, I mean, she has a couple of moments here. First, uh, we see she's one of the people who ends up voting for Rupert and says, you know, I'll write your name down, and if I'm in the final three, you'll still give me the million-dollar vote, which is, like, I guess the reverse Johnny Fairplay in terms of foreshadowing of, like, the thing that she says ends up coming true completely. Uh, and then when she ends up playing her idol, unfortunately the only idol to this point that she's been able to play in her survivor career, but Jeff starts going through a spiel, if anyone has the hidden immunity idol, and Sandra just flat out stands up and stops him and says, should I let you finish? And then she pulls it out of her bra and everyone is stunned because, yeah, she did not tell a soul about that idol. So legitimately everyone, um, jury included, is absolutely shocked at what's going on.
0: Okay, now we're going to praise Sandra endlessly so you guys will get sick of it. But this is really fitting because what I love about Sandra is like she's in Pearl Island. She wins Pearl Island. She's never the biggest character. She's kind of a niche minor character who happened to win. And she's mouthy and funny. She does funny stuff. But she's never the star. And she's never the star of Heroes versus Villains really until right here. Yeah. And this is what I love about it because Sandra is such a TV star. She knows the moments. She knows what to say. She knows what the camera is going to love. And this whole scene is just like a camera come, or a Sandra coming out party. So, like everything that happened later, where she kind of became an icon and a legend. And I know many years later, they brought her back as a mentor and island of the idols. It all starts right here, where she finally becomes a survivor star that she should have been before.
3: Well, and I don't, I mean, I don't know based on what I have like gathered about Sandra and heard her in interviews outside the show, whatever, I honestly think she's honestly like that funny all the time. And most of the time it's totally unintentional. And I don't know if in this moment, it's just really when the show finally is able to kind of package these, package it together in a way that really comes across for us. But I've always been under the impression that that's just always how Sandra has been. And as you know, as she, as the game evolves and, and i i don't I don't know exactly what it is, but I never got the sense that really Sandra found a way to break it through in the t v show the t v show finally found a way to really embrace who Sandra is, and Sandra has always been that funny and that witty and um that great of a character
2: <laughs> well i I wonder if it's because I mean if we're going back to this these quote unquote big moves I mean this is a pretty badass moment from Sandra, and she's utilizing a hidden immunity idol, which is used to create some of the bigger moments of survivor history in terms of editing so it's almost like you know she's helped by the fact that the editors are really playing up into how badass this move is because she's playing this idol that nobody knew about and so it almost makes you view her character in a bit of a different light but to your point from a personality standpoint she's still the same Sandra, maybe even more so where she has seemingly even less regard for russell than she did johnny fairplay
0: yeah, I have to point out, lest people think me a hypocrite, like, I, I hate idols. I don't think idol plays are interesting or even part of Survivor. But what I love about Sandra being involved in idol play is that she doesn't even need it. She's like, fuck it, here's an idol. Like that's That's how cool Sandra is. Like, she doesn't even need this idol. It's just like a throwaway just so she can get her camera moment. But she doesn't need it because she's already set it up to the point that she's not going home. And I have to say, just the how Paul said that she's like this outside the show. She's just kind of blunt and funny and says things in a strangely amusing way that aren't always meant to be amusing. She's just a star. I've only met Sandra one time. and This story always cracks me up is that she was at Reality Rally, this uh, thing in Temecula, California, a couple years ago. And she and I have emailed over the years. She likes the Funny 115. She knows I've written about her. She knows I'm a fan. She has uh, given me endorsements for my website. So we've written before, but we'd never met in person until Reality Rally. And I saw her and she's at the snack bar and she's loading up with food. She has like four plates of food because she's hungry. And like I walk over to her and I say, hi, I'm Mario Lanza. We've written before. It's nice to finally meet you. Here's literally the first word Sandra ever said to me in person. Hold my food. (laughs) So she like hands me her plate so she can talk to me. So I was like, all right, hello, Sandra. Yes, I will hold your plate of empanadas. So thank you. So I'm always, always amused by that. That's the first thing she ever said to me, hold my food. And it was not a question, it was a demand. Hold this. <laughs> so, lost in all the excitement over Sandra, we lose Rupert here, one of the greats, where I think by now his tenth toe has been broken. He lost, he broke his toe here at tribal and council. His heart so.
2: was broken too. <laughs> <It's hard. laughs> no! Yeah, and this is this is not as obviously over the top and demure as so much for my dreams, but Rupert saying maybe I'm not destined to win Survivor is like I guess I caught like second saddest final words, obviously because the All-Stars one was actually pretty damn cheery by comparison.
0: I guess I'll go home like, and have sex with my wife.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna try to do that Rupert impression, but then also uh incorporate blowhole that I just gave up. So I'm, I'm I'll done. be visiting
2: my own <laughs> blowhole soon enough. <laughs> And the coconuts will go two times as high. <laughs> oh,
0: Wait, so now we've we've come to the point where we're now joking about Rupert's ejaculate. Thank you, Mike Bloom. <laughs> uh,
3: uh, a much more G-rated note. I remember. Uh, um, I've always like kind of liked the fact that in Rupert's, you know, three real runs on Survivor uh, up to this point, that he's gotten um, fourth, sixth, and eighth. Isn't that kind of cool? And also
2: 20th.
3: (laughs) So at some point he
2: learned multiplication
0: instead of addition. (laughs) Yes.
2: I've I've been, you know, uh, I've been a big proponent of Rupert as a Survivor character. Not to say that, like, oh, he shouldn't be taken seriously. But just the dramatics that he takes everything, I really get tickled by. And I really liked, you know, watching him here. I can understand why he ends up being up for the fan favorite vote. Because A, he's Rupert. And B, they do a pretty good job of, like, focusing a lot of stuff around him, even though he is on the back foot for the majority of the post-merge, and that's tough to do with some broken toes. Uh, we talked before, I think, last episode about how much, like, I genuinely think that the rock in the pocket was probably the best move he's ever made. But I enjoyed watching Rupert this season. Uh, if anything, he he's contributed with, like, his grisly responses. Uh, always get a chuckle out of me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I... I don't really enjoy Rupert in the moment, but in retrospect, when we're doing Historians, he's my favorite person because every scene is so much more melodramatic. And even in this, he gets voted out, and he stares at Russell. He turns around and gives the glare of death. Then he walks out. He's like, be a real shame if I put my head in the oven now. Oh, God. <laughs> Good. Rupert, stop. <laughs> so... Anyway, once again, we lose Rupert. And I always feel bad giving him a send-off because he's going to be back in like three or four seasons anyway, whatever. But he'll be back. We will have more to talk about and joke about it with Rupert. We'll get to blood versus water. Not nearly enough, but still, we get Laura in that one. So it's fun to throw in a new piece of the dynamic.
1: I don't want to imply that only mean people win Survivor or something like that. But you have to have a little bit of a mean streak not in some way in order to sort of cut your way to the end of Survivor. And I just don't know if Rupert has it like mm-hmm. I'm not sitting here and saying he's the like the nicest guy on planet Earth, because as we've seen through some of his bravado and some of the ways he describes things like Rupert does have a have a healthy ego about himself. And I and I and I I think that's an OK thing. But, you know, it's a thing that can rub some people the wrong way. But I also don't believe he's got much of a mean bone in his body. He's He seems like a genuinely like you know, person who's very empathetic towards everybody else. And it's just, boy, that that's just, it's never going to happen for you.
2: Well, not only that, like he says in the final tribal council, like to, to be honest in this game is the hardest thing to do. So I think it's very clear the way he ideally wants to play. And, and again i I would agree with Jay that like i don 't think that only mean people mean sur- win survivor, but I think no. everyone everyone acknowledges that like there has to be mistruths there has to be some manipulation and some deceit going on, even if it 's at a very primal small level and i don 't know how how much Rupert is willing to do that unless he 's really in like a sense of desperation, and you do sort of again do the thing of like the rock in the pocket
1: yeah i would I would go so far as to say that most of the winners of Survivor are probably very <laughs> lovely people, and i don 't want to i don't want to be oh, this is what Jay said. But it's like, uh, I, you know, like you said, you have to be okay with cutting some people loose. You have to be okay with deceit. You have to be okay, you know, with, with some certain things. And there are just some people that play the game that would have trouble with that, you know?
0: This leads into a question. Now, we may have brought this up before. I kind of forget. Do you think we ever actually see the real Rupert, or is this a character he has created for the cameras that he's now locked into? I am curious because obviously at the start of Pearl Islands, it's the real Rupert because you can't fake your first time. That's him. At a certain point, I feel he grows into a character. How much of the real Rupert do you think is really in there?
2: I mean, I guess the question is like, how much of the real Rupert, I guess, remains or is fed into by the amount of recognition he received after Survivor, right? I mean, you were talking about the ego that he has. Is it that, you know, the quite literal million dollars and a, you know, uh, uh, grassroots political campaign, uh, was that sort of just embellishing qualities that he already had that were already a part of him? Or was it creating new qualities in him uh, that let us see new parts of him where maybe— you know, uh, the, the the down-to-earth guy that we saw back in Pearl Islands to a certain extent who just worked with troubled teens uh, isn't necessarily the same guy that you see even at this moment in Heroes vs. Villains.
0: Yeah, and the one thing I want to reiterate, again, what we do on Historians here is we try to provide historical context. And I always have to point out that Rupert was not popular among the Pearl Islands cast members. When he came out like to a man. They were almost all shocked that Rupert was the star of the season because they didn't like him. And he wasn't well liked and like we never saw that side of him. We just saw this gruff, kind of annoying bully in a way that he just had to have his way or he every he hated you. And so they he was not popular and that was a big kind of controversy at the time that the coverage and edit that Rupert got in Pearl Islands did not match the reality of most of the players. And so I always think back to that that It has just kind of snowballed from there, and I'm wondering, do the Heroes versus Villains players think the same way? Do they also think he got a a generous edit? I didn't really hear them talk about that because Rupert is just who he is at this point. He's a big fan favorite, but it is something I always keep in the back of my mind, that he was not popular at the time, and he got a very generous edit, and then he became Rupert as we know him.
1: I don't know. I I don't want to speculate. I I don't—I feel like, you know— you know, you, you've talked about it, uh, you know, you've written articles, you know, the whole Andy Kaufman strategy and all this sort of stuff where it's like, hey, if you can create this like ideal persona and be this persona that's this game winning sort of survivor persona, then, hey, go ahead and do it. But I mean, I, I really where I give every contestant of survivor credit. That you know here I am just a guy in the comforts of my own home podcasting you know with 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 not a lot of problems going on whereas we're scrutinizing uh, gameplay in uh, interactions made by people who are literally like on an island with like no clothing and extreme weather and extreme hunger and extreme discomfort you know where you're in this fishbowl of a game where you have to think about all these things all the time and it's like it I think it, it's hard to keep something up you know, some, some sort of facade up, you know, the entire time. So like, is, is that the genuine, genuine Rupert? Like maybe, maybe not. But I think that you have to kind of believe that gimmick a lot of ways and, Mm. and, and you have to live it in order to do it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I agree. I, at a certain point you become the part. So it's like, it's a fine line. Like, I don't know either. No one knows, but I agree with you. You, You can't fake it.
1: So then the question is, well, is, does it matter at that point?
2: That's a yeah, good point. Yeah, I mean, if, it, if it becomes part of who you are, it doesn't matter, I guess, where it came from. And for what it's worth, you know, I had the opportunity to briefly talk with Rupert when him and Laura were on The Amazing Race, and he seemed as similar there as he was from what we saw on the screen, uh, which made me very delighted. So, I mean, I'm inclined to say that this was the quote unquote real Rupert, but I, I'm interested yeah. to hear what, you know, what everyone thinks.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, when you met him, was he drinking 2% cow's milk?
2: I'm not entirely sure. Uh, he had had a bad run-in with an elephant, uh, which he was his spirit animal up until that point. So I'm not entirely sure. Hopefully, definitely he's swearing off elephant's milk, but I don't know about 2% cow's milk.
0: Now, was that the scene when he tried to pet the pretty elephant and he ended up snapping its neck accidentally? Oh
1: my <laughs> god,
3: a callback.
0: Oh. A callback. I was waiting for that the whole episode. We're going to do enough mice um,
3: What I What I loved about closing this uh, chapter on Rupert was uh, during the um, – I have to get this right, Mario. I'm uh, going back and forth in my head. Hold on, not rights. No, hold on. Why am I mixing up fallen comrades and rites of passage? Rites of passage is walking by the torches. Yes,
0: y'all being yeah. silly, Paul.
3: <laughs> uh, he, um, uh, I just love like the, the. I can't remember exactly what it was, but the Rupert quote during that one was just like, "Wow, Rupert, he's so deep." Because I think his quote was. Getting voted off right before the end and not winning was very, very bad. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was like just so so. I was like, "Wow, three, three So my answer to the question is: Is this Rupert? I think yes. I don't think <laughs> I don't think he has it in him. Much like the the J effector, the kind of that X factor. I don't think he has that X factor to create something more than he actually is.
2: Wow, who thought that the Rupert tweets would exist even before Twitter <laughs> That's what day? it was.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike, to to quote another podcast here, that definitely was an original Rupert tweet. <laughs> wow
0: i've never heard that that's fantastic okay so getting voted off right before the end very very bad and with that we close the door on rupert and we go into the finale a very uh notorious episode in survivor history i hope you guys are ready for this one we will make many friends and many enemies with this one because there are many landmines involved in discussing this episode you guys ready for this
2: I will say also, uh, just from a pure perspective, looking back on it from Survivor history, the final six of Heroes versus Villains, from like a legacy perspective, like it's really tough to beat that, right? These are, no matter how they did in that season, those are six of the biggest Survivor names I think the show has ever seen. It's crazy that we ended up getting to that level.
0: I will. I will let you have that argument. Go for it. I like that argument. Go for it. Yeah,
3: good one. Well, actually, well, while you formulate that argument, um, I think heading into this finale, and this is when I, I remember, like, thinking about this back at the time when it aired and stuff. They do this big hype going into the finale, and, and uh, kind of the last thing Jeff says after he, you know, highlights each one of these uh, uh, finalists is he highlights and says here, like, among these finalists, there are two winners, two previous finalists and then it just shows jerry at the end <laughs> and like he doesn't say anything it just shows her and goes and and then he continues on or something like that it was like uh he might as well just said and jerry <laughs>
0: <laughs> Poor Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. She's like Charlie Brown. She just can't win. Even in their previously on in this episode, they're like previously on this season. Boston Rob dominated the season, and but then Russell took over, and Russell joined forces with his three allies, and they show like Parvati and Danielle and Sandra, and it's like, and then Jerry was there too. <laughs> it's like, come on.
2: To your point, though, Mario, it's one of those things where looking back at hindsight uh, at some of these moments, you're like, oh yeah, they really were telegraphing stuff. When you have Jeff in the beginning say that Russell is repeating the same habits of bullying and making deals with everyone, you kind of cock your head and realize, yeah, he's probably not going to win at this point, right?
0: You would hope so. That was the – again, I would never liked Russell, but that was the hope as you're watching this because they are really telegraphing Russell is not going to win. And again, this cannot be stated enough. Mike had brought it up earlier that nowadays people kind of look back in Heroes versus Villains and say, yeah, Russell sucked at that one, as to quote the words of Sue Hawk. You sucked at that one. But – that was not the feeling at the time at the time a lot of people thought he was going to win this one and i was like it was really an interesting time because the russell the argument that russell might not be the greatest thing ever had not really taken hold among the majority of the fan base and if you would even suggest it you go on like they had like a, the internet movie database message boards and stuff they would just there weren't that many places there wasn't really a reddit yet i don't think So there weren't places to discuss Survivor, but you'd go online and you'd suggest that Russell perhaps wasn't the greatest player ever, and you would get buried. I mean, a a hundred responses to that, you would not be allowed to start that argument ever. There were so many Russell fans. So it was an interesting time here seeing the perception of Russell is going to start to change, but it had not quite changed yet.
1: No, although I will say that by this point, at least when I was viewing That was not my question going into the finale because I had written off Russell at that point. And, I mean, I I will tell you that even though I was off the Russell bandwagon via the Danielle vote, like, I had been on the Russell bandwagon for a while, right? So, you know, there's still lingering feelings there. Like, ah, you know, if Russell won, I guess, you know. But I didn't think so. My question here was will Parvati pull it off?
2: Yeah, I was thinking it was either Parvati or maybe somebody like Jerry.
1: Yeah, it was going to be Parvati or Jerry Sandra, whoever made it to the end, because clearly Colby was not going to make it to the end. So it was literally it could be the third person. Right. So it was really like, is it Parvati or is it the other person?
0: I will tell you personally, from my perspective, I can't really give an answer to that because I have so many people back in the day, more so than now, that used to write me and like they would write me during Heroes versus Villains and everyone knew I didn't like spoilers. So they would hint spoilers at me. So I would get this a lot. Mario, are you liking heroes versus villains? And I'm like, nah, not really. They're like, you like Sandra though, right? And I'm like, yeah, I love Sandra. They're like, you'll probably like heroes versus villains then. <laughs> I'm like, would you please stop telling me that? They would be, people would hint at, I would get this email three, four times a week from people that didn't want to tell me. They just wanted to make sure I was interested and I was paying attention. And so that was, that, was, that was what I get a lot. So I can't really talk about what my feeling was at the time because I kind of got the sense Sandra might be doing well here. And again, if you look at the edit, it's pretty obvious the editors are really building it up to a Sandra win. But it only happens the last two episodes. And it's, that unfortunately gets into a lot of the argument why people think Parvati should have won, why people think Jerry should have won. Yeah, yeah, I, don't know. It, I don't know who still
2: and,
1: thinks Russell should have won, but some do. Right. And as Paul pointed out, you know, you look at you look at the edit, it's very clear, not that they're burying Jerry, but like it's more complimentary to Sandra and not complimentary at all, really, to Jerry. And but I wasn't paying attention to that at the time, admittedly, because, you know, my whole question was it's Parvati or it's Sandra or it's Jerry. But it's like if I'm watching the signs, it's like, well, it's not Jerry. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Jerry does not have a strong edit at all. You think she does and people like her story arc, but there's no point in this season where it's really Jerry's story.
2: Yeah, I mean, it only was—I'd say maybe the one time was during that Boston Rob vote, which really, like, she was the swing vote. It was her big story about, like, I'm I'm not a good villain. You know, can I really do this? Even when she was involved as a swing vote in the Danielle vote, and maybe this was unfortunately due to time constraints, but, like, that was almost an afterthought. It really didn't seem like the action was revolving around her. It was much more so around what Russell was doing to swing the vote over to Danielle. So, yeah, if you're talking about momentum— Sandra's was just revving up, and Jerry's had slowed down for just a bit.
0: Yeah. Okay, let's let's talk. We'll talk about Jerry when we get to her at the end when she gets voted out. But let's – we'll go through the episode here. So uh, Rupert was just voted off. Now it's the – four villains against uh, Colby. (laughs) For some reason, I always forget Colby made the finale here. So Russell is mad that Sandra played the idol and he didn't know about it. And Sandra has the very Sandra-like retort, I didn't have to tell you about my idol, bitch.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and she's like, I mean, she makes a lot of stupid points of like, if she found an idol, did she have to go run and tell him? I mean, he says, you know, he wants to micromanage the whole tribe, and unfortunately, I'm not the type of person you could micromanage. Sorry. And I think... That's another thing is that, you know, I think Russell has a lot of people that are willing to work with him either because of, you know, because he's so vocal or because uh, they know that, you know, they can beat him in the end. But Sandro is really one of the biggest people to speak up against him. And I think that's really just what grinds his gears more. But in spite of all that, he is still targeting Parvati, no matter what, apparently Parvati is going next.
0: Yeah. And I was going to say, this speaks a lot to what Russell is like. He, he cannot bully Sandra. He's trying all his tactics. She doesn't care. She has no fear of him. She just doesn't respect him as an opponent. And because Russell can't come down on Sandra, he's going to come down on Parvati because Parvati is a little, and she's not a weaker player, but she's not doesn't quite have the same mentality as Sandra does where you just can't mess with her. So now Russell goes to Parvati says, you knew about Sandra's idol. You're in coots with Sandra. And poverty's like I knew nothing about it. I don't even know what you're talking about. And now Russell does the same thing he did to Danielle to poverty. He starts bullying her, haranguing her, and makes her cry. And I kind of forgot about this scene that he makes poverty break down.
2: His weird fan fiction is in his head is no, no, no. Of course, poverty's against me. She's lying about knowing that Sandra had the idol, and she lied to my face. I can't keep her around. I need to get rid of her, except for when she wins immunity, and then I need to get rid of her next time, except when she doesn't win immunity, and then I will keep her until the end.
0: Well, and again, to back up the point, there's the argument later in the season, and I know this will make people uncomfortable, where is it Candace in the finale says, Parvati, you act. You were like a abused wife through the season, that Russell would abuse you and you keep coming back to him, which is a very inflammatory way to talk about somebody, but you can kind of see where they get that argument in these seasons or in these, in these scenes where Russell is repeatedly horrible. He's absolutely horrible to Parvati, but then they're together in the next episode. So you can kind of see where the other players got that argument.
2: Well, I think, I, I don't know. It it always ties into the conversations that have been pervading the survivor community, especially as of late, though. I know we don't want to date this podcast too much about like how far are people willing to go if it helps their success in the game. You know, it's this talk about the line. And everyone has, I think, a certain line that they may cross or may not want to cross. And I think maybe what Candace is sort of vocalizing in that moment, I agree that I think the comparison to an abused victim or abused wife is not a great one, not a clean comparison to make. But I guess what she's saying is like, hey, uh, I know I, from a moral perspective, probably would not be in an alliance with someone who is acting so repugnant towards me just because I know I can beat him in the end uh but you are fine with that uh but but I think that's what it always comes back to as well especially when it comes to like facing down the jury is you know what are everyone's sort of code of ethics throughout the game and how do you sort of compare what you would do in a situation versus somebody else
0: yeah no I 100% agree with you that's what they're saying I don't respect you, poverty, because you did not do the ethical thing that other people would do, and you just enabled this crap. That's what I think that they're saying. So, mm. well, we'll get to that. Okay, so the reward challenge here is that the uh, dish stacking challenge, like China, this is the uh, Suri Memorial Challenge here, where they have to stack the dishes. Not and... Suri. wasn't Siri... Oh Wait, who am I thinking of in China? Um, Amanda. Oh, I'm sorry. I often get Suri and Amanda. You know, hating
3: often... it, <laughs> hating you. <laughs>
0: All human beings are ninety-eight percent the same biological material, Paul. It's a very common mistake. But yeah, so the Amanda challenge. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> Sandra goes out first, surprisingly, and then Jerry, and then Russell, and now we get the it, the dread showdown of Colby versus Poverty in the
1: dish stacking challenge. Which <laughs> it's like, I'm now that. imagining Mario as like a public defender with like you know my client. My client could have murdered that other person, but. But I mean still so could have anybody really.
0: I mean, really, it. yeah. I mean <laughs> it's a crazy world out there. The chaos theory could be anybody.
2: Yeah. We I know the DNA test confirmed it was my client, but don't we all have DNA? <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly. I mean it's science. It's science. The jury's still out on science, right?
2: All right. So uh so
0: Parvati wins. This is her second immunity win in a row, and she is spared, so Russell cannot come after her anymore for some reason. And now now we get one of the most Famous confessionals of the season, the delay confessional, which I want to hear your guys' thoughts on this one. I've heard a lot of people love this confessional. A lot of people hate this confessional. There's almost nothing in the middle, but everyone remembers it and has thoughts about this one, where Colby, in the middle of his confessional, does a, I timed it, 18 seconds of silence in between his sentences.
2: I love it. I love it so much because, look, the old adage about Survivors that we're truncating three days of footage down into a 42-minute period, and from that perspective, we don't often see things play out in real time. And most of that makes sense, uh, you know, because they're humans. So probably there's a lot of uhs and ums and pauses or, or starting things over that end up getting cut out to provide a smoother result. But this felt raw, uh, which is interesting because it's Colby talking about his big, uh his big little ruse that he's pulling, where he comes back to camp and he essentially throws in the towel and says, "Look, look." I'm just happy to be the last hero standing. I'm not going to hustle or do anything like that. And you know what? You know, I, this is my surrender speech. And then it cuts to Colby, and confessional, saying, "Hell of a speech if I do say so myself. Hell, I almost convinced myself I was going home, but I don't know how to quit. It's just not in me." And I don't know. I I liked seeing that visage crack. I, I think that also an, a typical thing that people foist onto modern survivors. They say that some characterizations are not emotional. You know, that's where the term game bot really gets thrown around. But this is a very emotional moment from Colby. Even though we talk about the fact that he was not having a good time out there, you could still tell that the experience meant something to him. And so it was nice to see that. It felt very different from everything else from both a length perspective and, uh, and an emotional perspective. So that's why I love it.
0: Well, I just want to jump in. I know I want to hear everyone else else's thoughts, but the reason you said you love it is exactly like the opposite of what other people say that i've heard other people say colby is totally trying to do a moment he will have in the episode like it's very artificial that's why he inserts this really long pause just because it's a dramatic pause like in a way it's almost artificial because he's playing the cameras he knows this is going to be a big confessional so he's specifically tailoring it to something that will show up and be good on tv which is i think the opposite
1: of what you just said yeah but but the counter argument to that is is that if he's doing that and it's a so-so moment or it's whatever, they aren't going to use it. They can close a bunch of that up. They, they can edit it. Edit, they, can, they can edit anything down. And I mean, the fact that it's on TV, so, oh, he was trying to make a good TV moment. Well, he succeeded. Yeah, I love it.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. They didn't have to use that. See, that's my personal argument why I like Colby. And this has been a thing that's come up over the years. Oh, Colby was only liked because he was the golden boy, you know, the straight white male probes favorite, you know, the cowboy. I love Colby, but for none of those reasons, I love Colby because he's a good confessionalist. He really knows how to do a soundbite as good as almost anybody on Survivor History to the fact that he's now hosting a show about chopping meat. (laughs) <laughs> so I like I that this is why I love Colby because he can deliver a soundbite better and more professionally than almost anybody else in Survivor history. How about you, Paul? Paul, you seem like the demographic who would love Colby the most.
3: <laughs> My boy, um <laughs> no, I don't want to echo totally what Mike said and just add that um you know, we we enter we've, we've entered a little bit prior to this somewhere in the teens where It used to be our finales of Survivor were somewhat of a drawn-out process. It was a lot about reflection and a lot of closure to the season. And somewhere along the lines, I'd maybe argue around Cook Islands once we have a final three, that it really just becomes very fast-paced. It's like boom, boom, boom. And the more people, the more challenges, the more everything we can cram into the hour to make it go fast. Um, It's just kind of the way that that the finale has changed over the years. And to be able to slow down, like Mike said, and get kind of a real moment, I'm 100% a fan of it.
0: So not surprisingly, all four of us seem to be in favor of the Colby confessional with the 18-second pause in the middle. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, He says, I, I'm going to give up, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I got one more chance. And he's going to go to Russell, and he's like, you know, Sandra is going to win this game, Russell, and we all have to get Sandra out of here before she wins this jury vote. Colby very prescient, knowing exactly what's going to happen, because Colby's smart. And Russell's like, Sandra ain't done shit. She ain't getting nothing. <laughs> Russell and Colby, again, once is like, we all must team up and make sure Sandra does not win. Uh, what is it? We, I forget what it is. Something, I, I always forget the argument. If he's trying to beat Sandra or poverty, but he's trying to say, keep me in so we can all win these immunities and we can all have a better chance. And, and Russell wants nothing to do with it. And Colby's like, you know, I gave it my shot and blah, blah, blah. And yada, 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 Colby's voted out.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's the I guess I don't want to say it's the only argument he can make, but he's trying to rely on his... I guess challenge Prowess of the Past by being like, Hey, you don't want Parvity there. Well guess what? I can beat Parvity tomorrow. But Colby happens to leave out that like, hey, if he beats Parvity and immunity, that means he's in the final three. Uh so I think, you know, good on everybody else for realizing that, for putting, I guess, their differences aside for like one second and saying, Yeah, it's 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 a no brainer. We have to get rid of Colby here. He's a guaranteed yeah. winner. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean I mean that's that's the problem. The problem is, is that he'd win himself. But but the other problem is again, in in it's it's the whole thing of like everyone's pointing out that like Russell, anyone other than you is a threat to win this game. For the most part, and the thing is, is that Russell's just not going to believe it, and it's, he especially has been down on Sandra. And so when Colby comes and says Sandra is a threat to you, Russell'll be like, No, she's not. <laughs>
0: I, I would have liked to see the extended version of this scene where Colby's like, You know, I was on Survivor the Australian Outback and I won like 30 challenges. I'm in the most amazing Survivor challenge performer ever. You might want to keep that in mind. And Russell's like, There ain't never been no Survivor in Australia. I ain't never seen that season. So Colby's it's like, only, well, It's only ever been Survivor
2: Samoa, Survivor Parvati, and Survivor Heroes versus Villains. Yeah.
0: You just a little bitch. You just making this up. You ain't done nothing. So, anyway, it doesn't work out, and I don't even have any notes for this tribal council. I just say Colby gets voted out.
2: No, the only thing is that uh, Colby says out loud that everyone wants to sit next to Sandra over poverty, and Sandra replies, "Well, that's news to me and again, it's a it's a fun little prescient moment in that you know some Colby's trying to announce that Sandra is a goat only for her to become the winner uh, in about an hour or so
0: <laughs> it It really does make me wonder did they think Sandra was going to win because this, this reminds me of Lil in Pearl Islands. Everyone's like, oh, no one wants to sit next to Lil. Oh my God, are you nuts, Lil? She would kill all of us. And then like, they're practically scrambling to sit next to Lil because they're all going to destroy her. <laughs> so it's like, I never really know exactly what they're saying. It's again, it's all gameplay. You never know. It's all half truths and stuff. But it does cross my mind a little when I watch the end of this season too. Did they did they really think Sandra was going to win?
1: I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, I don't know also. I mean, I, again, you know, your your vision gets kind of warped a little bit when you're out there and whatnot. But I think that you have to know, like, there must have been, like, vibes given off at tribal councils and just other things like that. Like, there just has to be, Colby kind of has to know that Russell's not winning and Parvati's chances don't look super great, right? So, you know, I I don't know that that everyone's like, oh, that's Sandra, what a threat. Oh, my God, Sandra, put her near the end, she's going to win, but... I think that Colby's looking at the writing on the wall going, well, they don't love Jerry and they're obviously going to vote me out. So it's probably going to be Parvati, Russell and Sandra at the end. And, you know, he's sitting there going like Russell, you know, the third person is going to be a problem no matter who it is for you. And he's he's deducing it's Sandra. And he's like, well, how do I beat Sandra? And he can't beat her socially or uh, all these other pedigree wise. Cause you know, we have Sandra, a former winner and Colby, a person who took Tina to the end in survivor Australia. So like, there's a, there's a distance there. So he's basically just trying to talk down Sandra because it's like, vote for me because I could beat her in a challenge because if she goes to the end, she's going to win and all this sort of stuff. And you want to get poverty out. And like, that's his only angle that he's trying. And so he's just going to try
2: it. I was watching, you know, the jury speaks videos for this season before we came on and The jury was surprisingly up in the air going into final Tribal Council. And so that makes me personally think that it was still very fluid as to who people were going to vote for. I think everyone had Russell maybe at the bottom of their list. But I think if you ask them to sort of rank the, the, the remaining four castaways, Russell would be number four. But I think... Those three women, you could, like, shuffle them around in any order. I think they all had different parts of their game that people yeah. valued from a certain perspective. So I wouldn't say at this point that everyone's like, oh, yeah, Sandra's guaranteed to win. I think it was very much right. to your point, Jay. Like, they saw the situation. They're like, oh, yeah, Sandra's there? Okay. I guess, you know, given her answers in the way that she, you know, made promises to us beforehand, I would be fine giving her a vote.
1: Yeah, I, I have a hard time you, – you've, you've watched the videos, but I would also have a very hard time believing with like six or five people left if you went to the jury, everyone's just like, well, I've got my eye on Sandra.
0: Yeah. That's not how Sandra plays. <laughs> no. Sandra will sneak
1: up on you. Well, but right. it's like everything. We're, we're going to talk about it. Let's keep going. Yeah.
0: Okay. So with that, we lose Colby, the last hero. He is voted out. He gets the hero's exit and he goes back to his room. And this is a little known fact. Reed is actually there and Reed has TP'd his room. So it's (laughs) fucking Reed, man.
2: God damn it, Reed.
0: (laughs) So anyway, now we just have the four villains left. We have Jerry, Sandra, Parvati and Russell. And uh, this is where we get the rites of passage as Paul screwed up earlier this is where it even says i should point out i wrote in my notes it even says on the map it says right there rites of passage and then parvati even talks about it and she says oh we're going to do the rites of passage so here we are we're going to do the little torch walk where we go and look at all the
1: torches and And then it's good (laughs) they 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 mispronounced fallen comrades jay get off the show go right now it's it's been an honor gents see you later
0: we have loved Jay. I will miss his dry wit and his speaking his mind openly, but fuck off, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> no. So anyway, we go through the rites of passage. And like, uh, is this where you said, Paul, where Rupert says getting voted out was very bad?
3: Correct. Yeah. He, I I think he makes two points in his long Senate thing. Something about... That was bad, but then something was also kind of good, I think, at the end. I got to go back and – he kind of like – he then he kind of turned something around, and then it, it kind of went from good to – or bad to good, but wow. I can't remember. it. We had to go he, back and rewatch that. He flip-flopped.
0: He really is a politician.
2: <laughs> well, Sandra also says before it, Rupert, we hope your toe gets better.
0: Aww. Now, which toe was she talking about? Because, like, I think he had, like,
1: 12 broken toes by this point. He yeah. Just
0: he, was, he was
2: breaking other people's toes to rack up the count. Which,
1: like, how often did Rupert bring up the toe, then?
2: <laughs> there's actually, there's a Ponderosa video before Final Tribal Council where Rupert uh, gave us, like, a Cribs-style tour of his Ponderosa bungalow, and he said, here's a picture of my family, and he legit says, I hung up the X-ray that shows my broken toes. <laughs>
0: Could someone please get Rupert to autograph that and sell it on eBay, his broken toe x ray?
1: (laughs) Like I I feel like, you know, as a contestant on the show, like you probably like see Rupert in the morning, you know, after he's done all of his sawing and whatnot, and you'd be like, Hey Rupert, and then the question is, do I ask how the toe is? (laughs) Because he's probably going to tell me how the toe is. So do I just be nice and instigate the conversation, or does he just bring it up organically?
2: Yeah, it'd be one of those it's... things where you say, like, Rupert, good morning to you. He's like, did you say ya? Well, let me tell you about the toes.
1: Now, now to bring back the Of Mice
0: and man even more, do you think Rupert was stroking his toe and he broke it? Is that what happened? <laughs> I was making love to my wife and I broke a toe. Okay, so the the rites of passage the one that gets me is that this always remember this one where they get to boston rob's torch and sandra says when i first met boston rob he said you we're gonna get along because puerto ricans and italians are loud and ignorant (laughs) such a great sandra quote and as an italian myself we are very loud and ignorant so way to go sandra for identifying that and now we get to the final immunity challenge the blindfolded maze
2: yeah, the Jenna, the Jenna Maraska Memorial Challenge.
0: Yeah, Jenna Maraska, although you could say the, uh, yeah, <laughs> Rob Sesternino Memorial, because his chances of winning died right about here, <laughs> where Jenna wins this. But yeah, the uh, people will forever use this as an argument to say how Jerry came so close to winning Survivor Heroes versus Villains. I don't know if it's true, if she would have or not, but she would have had a very good chance. But again, this is a very exciting challenge. They're all blindfolded. And they all are going through this maze with Touch and trying to figure out where to go. And Sandra, of course, is terrible at it, as all challenges. (laughs) But Russell steals it at the end. Jerry is winning this challenge. And it's a very exciting ending. I even wrote, good challenge. This is a fun one. It comes right down to the end. Parvati, Russell, and Jerry all looking for that last final Idol or whatever they have to grab, and Jerry is right there, and she misses it. It's like if you go back to Australia, Amber at the blindfolded challenge, the uh, Doritos challenge, where Amber's so close to the end and she just cannot find the table. That's what Jerry, aka Amber's little sidekick, does here. Happens to her, comes full circle, she misses it, she whiffs on the ending. Russell steals it right out from under her, and Russell wins immunity.
2: Yeah, this was, I believe, in the lead-up to this episode, it was advertised as, like, we'll, in one of these challenges, we'll have the closest finish in Survivor history, and, I mean, I think it's tough to match any, both before and after, considering that, again, it's not just R- Russell versus Jerry, Parvati is right there as well, It's to the point where they all take off their blindfolds, realize their feet away from each other, and it's just, it's ridiculous, but it is very, very exciting, especially considering knowing what happens and knowing that you know russell was going to vote out parvati at that moment and now jerry's going to get voted out instead it was it was very much like a sliding door moment
0: yeah a lot of survivor history kind of changes right here in this moment it would have been really interesting to see what happened because i do agree parvati might get voted out here and now you get russell sandra and jerry at the end i don't know if sandra wins that i mean who knows no one would know but it would jerry would have a fighting chance so there is the argument. Jerry knows. She came so close to winning. She's like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. And so Jerry is, uh, again, well, what's the big picture here? Parvati has not won immunity. Russell has. And so Jerry thinks Parvati is going home that night because Russell wants to vote out Parvati. So that's where the leaves, you know, the tea leaves are kind of going. And there's a great scene here where Russell tells Sandra, he knows, no, we're not going to vote you out because everyone wants to take you to the end because you can't beat anybody. And to which Sandra replies, replies, "Yeah, that's cool. I'll take a hundred thousand. Just take me. That's fine."
2: <laughs> and this is where we get probably the the most used Sandra gif. Besides her falling in the shallow creek, is a, uh, yeah. Russell says, "I'll never get a single vote,"
3: but I don't know about that.
0: I would like to hear Paul say that in his award winning Sandra voice.
3: Sorry, I'm retired. I think Mike Bloom. He he tries to steal everything I have, so you can just take it. Congratulations. <laughs>
2: Yeah, the only person to usurp a Puerto Rican woman's dialect is not the Montanan white boy, but the Connecticut white boy. It really it's, is just passing the torch. The,
0: the, the Jewish kid from Connecticut, just like Sandra, you have totally, you've immersed yourself in her life perfectly.
3: Congratulations. Take the honor and shove it up your blowhole.
0: <laughs> I wish I went to the blowhole. Okay, so this is where Sandra is being dragged to the end because nobody wants to vote her out. And Parvati starts warning Russell. She's like, You know, Sandra is kind of dangerous. You don't want her in the final three. And Russell's like, No, you're stupid. I'm Russell. And so Parvati is doing her best to prevent the loss that she sees coming. Because, you know, Sandra's going to win this whole thing. Russell, as always, will override her, talk over her. And this is where all of a sudden Russell gets a bright idea. Now, again, the thinking of Russell, I know it's a dangerous place to wander into his head here where he was going to vote out Parvati because that was the plan. But now he realizes, you know, Jerry on the jury would be a fantastic pro-Russell vote because Jerry loves me. So I will humiliate her and blindside her. And then I have a pro-Russell vote on the jury.
2: (laughs) And not only that, I'm going to tell this and my intentions behind it to Parvati. So that, you know, it's not like at the final tribal council, she'll be able to point that out and immediately earn Jerry, you know, mistrust in me at all. She 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 wouldn't do that at all.
0: Yeah, this is a very, now, as Jay said, again, they're late in the game and they're all doing different stuff and trying to figure out the best way to get to the end. But specifically blindsiding Jerry just so she will be a jury vote for you has got to be one of the more underrated bad Russell moves. It ain't great. Yeah. I mean, we talk about the Danielle one. This one might be even stupider. This one's hard
1: to defend at all. It's hard. I mean, I guess the, the question, though, to me, I, mean, I, I just feel sort of as, as Mike was saying, you know, that maybe the, the jury has not made up their, their minds about who they want to vote for. But I think they're pretty much made up their minds that they're not voting for Russell. So, You know, you consider and go, well, you know, he this is a dumb move for Russell, Boba, all that sort of stuff. And it's like really what it's affecting is, is who else may get votes. And that's the greatest what ifs. Right. Because I'd like to I don't want to get in, go down this rabbit hole. I really don't because there's really no point to it ever because it didn't happen. But like if the original three in that alliance, if it was Russell, Parvati and Danielle in the end. It's an interesting thought experiment in a lot of ways, and I feel like Russell, Parvati, and Jerry or Russell, Parvati, and Sandra are different thought experiments because maybe Jerry doesn't win. Maybe Parvati wins if, mm. if she's there with Parvati. Maybe Jerry wins, but, like, Russell's not winning. In any of these scenarios, he's not winning. So, yeah, you can say it's a dumb move for Russell, but, like, it's moot at this point. Now we're figuring out what how this affects Parvati, how this affects other people.
2: Right. He's essentially the kingmaker here without even realizing yeah. it.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: Okay, so we're gonna go to tribal council, and Jerry's about to get blindsided, and Jerry doesn't see it coming. She thinks she's gonna win because she thinks Parvati's going home tonight, because that's been the plan all along, and this is like their only chance. And again, everyone still thinks Parvati's dangerous. Why wouldn't you devote her out? This is your one chance. And they get there, and again, I have to keep bringing this up because it's we're gonna get to the argument at the end: should Parvati have won or should Sandra have won? Does that? I've been pointing this out all season. How much better Sandra is at dealing with Russell than Parvati is. Is we go to tribal Council here and Russell's like, you know, I'm going to I'm going to decide who goes to the end. This is my game. And Sandra's like, yeah, just take me to the end. I'll get second place happily, whatever. I don't care. Like Sandra's very good at just whatever Russell needs to hear at that moment. That's when she'll do it. And Parvati here is antagonizing Russell, where she's like, I've been protecting Russell all game. And Russell blows a gasket when he hears that. You don't dare say that you're controlling his fate. And so he's spinning out of control of tribal council, being mad at Parvati again. And again, Sandra is just sitting there humbly. Yeah, I'll take second place. I don't care. Like Russell and Sandra will not antagonize him when it matters. She only antagonize him when it's not right time to vote. But Parvati is doing it here. And it's very interesting. I just want to point out why the argument to me could not be more clear that Sandra should have beaten Parvati. But I know a lot of people don't agree with that.
2: And it makes it even worse for Russell that she has this say – she says this directly to his face and to the jury, and he votes out Jerry. So it's almost like he's confirming Parvati's statement of like, oh, yeah, no, you're not protecting me, but I'm not going to vote you out this time. No, I'm going to go to the end with you.
0: Yeah, it's just a a very – again, this whole end of the season just kind of weird. It's weirdly told. It's a – the story doesn't go where you think it's going to go. It doesn't go where the players thought it was going to go for damn sure. And then Jerry gets voted out quite to her shock. And even in her final words, she's like, damn it, I knew it. And like, she's like the most likable we've ever seen Jerry. She's like laughing. She's like, I almost won Survivor. Can you believe it, people? I was so close. And then for some reason, this idiot blindsided me. Why? There was no reason for that. And so, yeah, this is a, again, where Jerry loses Survivor, probably where Sandra wins Survivor. All sorts of stuff happens right here. But it's all because, again, just Russell with weird logic any final thoughts I know there's we've there's been a lot of talk out there about Jerry's legacy in the survivor community yeah, she has a great four season story arc is it 4 3 3 three season story arc and like she went from the most hated player in survivor history to you know almost one heroes versus villains is a big fan favorite it would have been a really interesting arc i don't I hear that argument a lot. I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on that. I don't necessarily think Jerry has ever been that interesting as a survivor character. I never thought she was that hated. Of, I mean, she was not that interesting to be hated. I don't think she was that interesting to be beloved either. So her arc never really does that much for me just because I think as a character, she's not really that dynamic. But well, uh, it
3: really yeah. would have
0: been interesting to see had this been her, her finals here.
3: What I think about Jerry is that it's just – it what's – her arc is interesting in the fact that we've talked about this, that she came back to all stars with the intent to rewrite her image. And because for her, I don't even know how much it was important based on her experience in Australia. I don't know that for her, it was the most important thing to be the star of the season. But it, what came out was that she really wanted to be liked, that she wanted to be appreciated. She wanted to be loved and that completely backfires on her and all stars. So I think you have to look at the arc in the way that she comes back for this third time and actually ends up being, if you're looking at like who made the merge and kind of looking at who are the biggest players in the season, she's not at the top of that list still. But I think in her mind from where she comes from, she left Heroes vs. Villains being more of a favorable character than um, a dislikable character. And so, the way I look at it is one, I'm really glad that I'm glad about that for her that she can walk away not being this huge villain that everyone's hating. She's not getting booed off the stage. and that there is a group of people out there who really feel like she proved something to her fans that she stood a legitimate chance to win. and you know it's it's kind of doesn't matter how close she was to actually winning because for her survivor legacy. She did what she needed to do and she's happy with it. And so, for that, I'm happy for her and that she's kind of able to, uh, you know, leave the survivor franchise on a good note on her own terms. And and that's just kind of how I look at it. But I, I, because I think people get a little bit crazy with it to act like she was like, you know, an inch away from being this, you know, beloved winner of survivor 20. As fun as it is to maybe entertain that,
2: (laughs) I completely agree with you, Paul. I think. From an emotional perspective and from Jerry's mental health perspective, I think it's an incredible arc. Uh, Because let's remember that, you know, Jerry is somebody who held a lot of resentment for getting blindsided in Australia, then comes back and finds that she is pretty reviled uh, by the world. I mean, she's getting famous from it. She was on The Surreal Life and she she did a bunch of gigs, but she was known as, like, quote-unquote, the bitch from Survivor. And I can't imagine how much that must have affected her. And watching some of Jerry's Day After videos, she says, this is the first time on Survivor that I feel completely at ease with everything. And that's what I ultimately take from Jerry's arc, is I think she had so much unfinished business, not necessarily with, like, people or with the show, but with herself, that, you know, she felt like there was something that needed to be completed, that she almost had to accomplish some final activities before she moved on. And I think... Between, you know, winning challenges, getting into a comfortable alliance, and making it nearly to the end. I think she feels very happy about herself. And it's also really interesting, not to fast forward too much to the reunion, but, you know, they talk about Jerry. And there's a pop of applause from the audience, which is ridiculous compared to Jerry's last appearance in Madison Square Garden during All-Stars, where she is booed out of the reunion. Like, it is staggering to me. And I think... That's what Jerry wanted at the end of the day. Like Paul said, it's it's recognition of not necessarily that she's like a big hero that people want her to be, but that she is, to loosely quote herself from the All Stars reunion, a human being. And I think she was able to get that here.
1: It's
0: interesting. I, I
2: want to go ahead, Jay. I want to do the last.
1: I can't add much more to what Paul and Mike just said because they echo most of my statements about it. Um, the one thing I will say. Is I think with Jerry, and I mean, look, Survivor is still at, at, not to date this podcast really too much, but as we are talking on this podcast, Survivor still is a television show. They're still doing seasons. And I, my, I don't think you can say this very much about a lot of people, and especially people who are returnees and stuff like that. I feel that Jerry has had the perfect amount of time on Survivor she was in season two and you know was a big the, the villain of season two for lack of a better words she was she should have been back on the first all-stars and she was and obviously you know we talk about you know the game and all that sort of stuff in there and then i think that you know you're going to bring back a heroes versus villains for survivor 20 you need the heroes versus villains you need to have jerry on that season she was on that season And the thing is, is that I I think Jerry's done with the game, just as you said mentally, but also I think the game, like, she has played it out. She has done her role. She's done the the right amount. I feel like Jerry has had the perfect amount of time in Survivor for herself and for the game, and I think it's just perfect the way it's out.
0: Yeah, I want to just provide a little different perspective, and again, I, I... I watch Survivor a little differently than most people, and I'm only saying this because I want to speak to the people who are kind of like me, which I don't know how many are out there, but there might be some. I don't follow Survivors outside the game. I don't follow anybody on Twitter. I don't watch anybody's Ponderosa videos. I really have no interest in what people are like outside Survivor. And like to me, it's just a TV show, and these are all just fabricated characters. And I can back that up. Why I think that way is because if you guys know my website, The Funny 115 it's very dedicated to just writing about the character on the show. And this is something I've heard from a lot of players over the years that they write me behind the scenes and stuff. They're like, we like the way you write about the show because you don't, you don't get into what people are like outside the game. All you write about is their character, and that's it. That's as, as if they're a 100% fictional character, and that's all you do. And that's one of the things I've gotten kind of like – that's why a lot of players like me. They trust me to write about them because I'm not going to be personal towards them. And so I'm very cognizant of the show just being a TV show and just being a product. Borneo is its own product, Australian Outback is its own product, Africa's its own product. And I don't take into account anything outside the game really. So my thing with if Jerry had won Heroes versus Villains, it's wonderful for Jerry as a person, and I wish her nothing but happiness in real life. I think that would be awesome for her. But as a TV viewer of Survivor, I think that ruins Australian Outback and this is something I've been sensitive to over the years, is that there's been this very big groundswell. I don't know if you guys follow social media as much as I do. There's been a big groundswell lately that, you know, Australia is a terrible season because Jerry was not a villain at all. She never did anything. And America was just horrible in 2001. And they just made up this narrative and just didn't like her because she was a female and didn't like her because she was against Colby, which that really hurts my heart a little bit as a survivor historian who loves these as TV products, because, I think Jerry, to this day, still was a fantastic villain in Australia, but it's a catch. She was only a villain for like four episodes. But for about four episodes, she is about as perfect a villain as you were ever going to get on Survivor, and people were not stupid for thinking she was a villain and hating her at the time. That's just what the narrative said, and they built it up. Now, was that bad for Jerry in real life? Absolutely. I think it was terrible. But if you just watch Survivor as a fictional product, which is how I watch it, I still love Australian Outback. I take offense when people say Jerry never did anything villainous. Now, admittedly, she like wasn't actively trying to like hurt people and screw them, but man was did the audience hate her because she was kind of snotty, and it was just a fun time to be a Survivor fan. So, that's my argument that I don't like I'm really happy for her that she has made inner peace and like the mental health has all been good for her. And I'm really excited for her. And that's how I think everyone should come out of Survivor. No one should regret this at all. But I don't think necessarily that should be factored into the TV product. Yeah,
1: but also by our logic, haven't we said over and over and over again that, you know, even though we try to make Survivor as a contiguous sort of thing, each season is unique in the sense that it's got its own people and its own dynamics. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, sometimes they bring things outside of the game, and especially when you get these All-Stars returning season, you know, they're bringing outside baggage into the game of Survivor. And, yeah, I'm not saying we need to pay attention to them outside of the game or something like that, but each season is unique. I don't understand how her winning Heroes versus Villains damages Outback, because... She's a different person then. And, cool. I, you know, we don't need to know the arc. And not only she's a different person, the game is different. The people were different. The stakes were different. Everything was different back then. And, you know, I, I think that it's that whole thing, you know, where people ascribe like the, this person didn't win this well, like Boston Rob, right? Like he didn't win a bunch of times and then he wins and everyone's like, see, he was really great the whole time. And it's like, eh, yeah, but that doesn't mean you should win every time because every time is different yeah I agree with you. i hundred percent agree with you one has nothing to do with the
0: other that my my argument is more that is not how most people watch or talk about survivor on the internet. They tend to talk about these things as continuous story arcs between seasons, which is not, again I agree with you one has nothing to do with the other, but that is not when you listen to people talk about survivor history, that is not how most people discuss it it's It's a different mindset
2: so then from that perspective, and this is a little tangential, but you know if this is more of a self contained product in your opinion. You know, there has been a long-held rumor that apparently there was a starry night when Colby and Jerry, after the merge, sort of finally made peace with one another. You know, after he voted her out long ago in Australia, she tried to get revenge. The bellhop was coming to get his bags in All-Stars, and people have been understandably angry that that scene was not shown to longtime fans. How do you feel about that? Are you fine without that being shown, considering if if you feel like this is a completely different product than Australia?
0: Yeah, personally, I am perfectly fine with that not being shown because that has nothing to do with Heroes versus Villains. And I think that people would find that a strange answer from me, who is so much immersed in Survivor history, but that doesn't help the Heroes versus Villains storyline. It really doesn't. Like, it depends on what you're putting in its place. If you're putting, you know— five more idol searches. Like I couldn't care less about that, but that really Jerry and Colby is not really a story in heroes versus villains. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. as much as I like to be, if they had set it up earlier in the season that they had this big storyline together, but you can't just throw it in at the end because it doesn't really fit this season. And again, I don't expect everyone to agree with me. That's just my personal opinion. Although, although it does back into another thing that I've said recently in other uh, articles and stuff that, it's interesting that everyone always bring. I think I brought this up in, in parts one or two, that everyone brings up the Jerry versus Colby storyline as always being the centerpiece of Australia. But again, if you watch Australia again you remember it, the storyline is really Tina versus Jerry. And Tina and Colby are kind of a pair, but Tina's the one who fucking hates Jerry. And like the whole thing is Terry, Tina just undercutting Jerry every chance she gets. And Colby is just kind of distancing himself from Jerry. He's not really involved with her that all that much. So that's always my other thing is that it's come down in history to Colby and Jerry being this big yin and yang, when in reality it was really more Tina versus Jerry.
2: Yeah. Coleman never commented on Jerry's Fiona Apple covers.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Tina to me is the big standout in, in Australia. But anyway, that's a whole different subject. But yeah, Jerry has an interesting legacy and I know people were really excited for her that she had this. And I personally, again, I want everyone to come out of being on Survivor to say they had a good experience and not regret it. And Unfortunately, that is not the case. Jerry's one of the earliest cases. She, she came out and said, this sucks. I wish I'd never done this. And then she eventually changed, and I'm really happy for her. But it's, it's a different subject for a different podcast. But in later years of Survivor, say, seasons past 30, a lot of the players are not coming out saying, I'm glad I did that. They're coming out saying, this was a horrible experience, and the producers are just flat out lying about what we did, and they're just being asses to us, straight-up asshole So Jerry's kind of the first person who had that experience, but she was far from the last many more modern players are saying very similar things to what Jerry said. And it's very much more prevalent now, I would say, but again, we will save that. So any more thoughts on Jerry before we move on here to the not controversial at all finale?
1: No, we got to get to the end, man. Let's go.
0: (laughs) Okay. So Jerry is gone. It's final three. It's Parvati, Sandra and Russell. And it's the final day now, and they all get their little speeches. And Sandra gives a nice speech here where, you know, my husband's in Afghanistan fighting, but I know he's okay. And she's like, he goes out and does his thing. That's what he does. He goes out and fights. And this is how I do my thing. I hustle. I go out. I make my million dollars, and I go home. This is what I do for a living. And this is where we get the really interesting Russell confessional. Now, I know a lot of people are dying to know our thoughts on this one, where Russell says, I know I didn't win last time, but I can win this time because I brought people. I brought people I can beat. And it's really interesting because people always wonder, how did Russell know that he lost Samoa? Was that indeed a fact?
2: Yeah, it's tough because I I've heard some rumblings that he thought he did win, but I in preseason stuff I do believe there's like video footage of him being like, oh, I, you know, uh, I'm gonna take some stuff from Natalie. You know, it's clear that like she. Uh, there was some stuff that I wasn't doing that she was doing. So I'm inclined to believe the latter. But again, this is also then going to fast forward to Hilary at the reunion when he says, I basically played one time across two seasons where maybe for one reason or another, he wasn't necessarily able to adapt those things. And partially maybe it was because he deep down thought he was the winner of Samoa.
0: Yeah. And I will just flat out say, I don't know the answer to this. What I have heard over the years is the rumors that they filmed that confessional two ways. One with Russell saying, I won last time and I'm going to win again. And one with him saying, I didn't win, but this time I will. I don't know that for sure. I don't know. I don't, I've never heard from a reliable source 100% how they filmed it. I would assume they filmed it two different ways, but I can't prove that. So if anybody knows anything else, I could be wrong about that one. All right, let's get up to the, the burning hat scene. Which, oh, near and dear to my heart, this scene. Okay, here we go. It's the final morning of Heroes versus Villains, and they're all just sitting on the the beach. And Russell asks Parvity, it all starts very innocently. He asks Parvity very innocently, if you were on the jury, Parvity, would you vote for me to win? And Parvity's like, nope, I'll vote Sandra. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to put you in the jury, you little bitch. I was going to
2: say, you'd have to imagine at a certain point, and I think Parvati has become a little more brazen. Uh, with her criticism of Russell, even though she knows that, you know, uh, she still kind of needs him at the end. Maybe she's taking hints from Sandra, but yeah, here, he can't vote her off. She does not give a fuck. And so she's like, hell no, I'm not gonna vote for you. And then Russell's trying to guilt her, but being like, no, I will, I would have voted for you. And is like, great. (laughs) Okay, so...
0: Wow, thank you. That's the nicest present any man has ever given me. <laughs> yeah. So the, it's a very fitting scene here. Russell and Parvati bickering over who the better player is of the two of them. Well, Sandra lays off to the side, sleeping and laughing. <laughs> that could not be more fitting for this season. They're just going at it and going at it. And then Russell storms off. And Sandra and Parvati, now Sandra and Parvati are super close. Because now they can laugh about Russell. And I think it's where Sandra says, he don't know what's about to happen to him tonight. He don't know what he's up against. He's up against two chicks, and they like fist bump. So, poverty has now become Courtney all of a sudden. And then, Paul, what happens next? What what does Sandra decide to do while Russell's away?
3: Um, she has to live up to the way that this finale is introduced, and we really talk about each of these characters, and the kind of the highlight of Sandra is that she she does things sneaky. And gets revenge and does those types of things. So she uh chucks his stinky hat into the fire. Uh, So that he can't so he can bring his bald what did you say, his bald ass to tribal council or something?
0: (laughs) Yes. Now two things I gotta say about everyone, I'm sure everyone has thoughts on this, but two things. The story arc for Russell, again, I hate to say a season has two arcs, but it's so fitting, I have to point out this one, that he began his Survivor career burning Jason's socks, and he ends his Survivor career him having the symbol of Russell burned in the exactly the same <laughs> way. Could not be more fitting.
2: In the exact Although, same location, too.
0: The exact same location. But I do have to say, many people have pointed this out to me, and they've asked me to put it on the Funny 115, and I haven't had a chance to get in there. But Parvati has a very fake laugh. That's one thing. Her ah, Her little fake laugh. If you've ever wanted to hear her one real laugh when she's not putting on the fake laugh for the camera, it's right here, where Sandra just out of nowhere goes, I'm going to burn his hat. And Parvati lets loose the deepest laugh, like... <laughs> it's it's so different from her usual laugh, and everybody's pointing that out to me. They're like, point out that that's Parvati's real laugh right there. Sandra actually gets her to unleash it right here. So, Jay, are you a fan of the burning hat scene?
1: I mean, yeah
0: i just hadn't heard from you in a while i thought you would fell asleep i wanted to make sure you were there
1: no i'm not asleep i'm i'm i, I don't know there's nothing real that i can add to this Careful, you know mario
2: it's... jay's gonna throw your hat on the fire now
1: <laughs> damn it mario doesn't wear hats
2: <laughs> i barely wear pants half the time
0: nice. all right yeah, so so anyway, this is the very famous – and again, Sandra is going to get almost every confessional in this episode. It's all Sandra. This, from here on out, it's all Sandra, and this is like her big moment. And I remember at the time, just I could not believe that Russell, who had been built up as this amazing dominant survivor figure, the greatest thing since sliced bread, his story arc is going to end with Sandra fucking burning his hat and laughing at him.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean – Sandra has so many quotes here from like the throwing the hand in the fire and actually saying that's how much game I got, you know, saying that this is her retribution for the way he's treated her. And then her finally saying that, you know, she thinks that Russell is all about the title over the money. And if that's what Russell wants, that's what I got to make sure Russell does not get. But I mean, if you look at it, that's a big reason why she ends up winning is that she is really promoting herself both to the audience and to the jury as being anti-Russell and you'd have to imagine a large reason why she ends up getting six jury votes here is because other people don't like Russell, and Sandra's sort of like the the captain of the anti-Russell Brigade, and we see it right here that that's just been a huge part of her storyline and a large reason why she ends up our first two-time runner.
0: Well, okay, this is really interesting because at the time, I don't know if your guys' experience was different, but when this season aired and this episode happened— that was the talk of every message board, every Survivor fan. It was, wow, are you Team Sandra or Team Russell? It was like one or the other. And what's really interesting over the years is that changed. It eventually became, are you Team Sandra or are you Team Poverty?"
3: Yes, correct. But that,
0: but that was not the argument at the time. And so I've always correct. thought all the the Russell people just moved over to supporting well, and
3: But Mario, that, that may be a good way to kind of – it's Harvest to look back and think on this about how – like. I think that sheds some light on why Parvati did not win the season because you look back and see that that's what it was. It was like Russell or the alternative Russell is Sandra, and Parvati had a hard time finding where exactly she stood because we know there were times she was against Russell, but most of she was with Russell. So I think that's actually very a fitting way to kind of look back on this, which now obviously the conversation has, has much more been, is it Parvati or is it Sandra? Which team are you on here? But I think that's a good way to look at it.
2: it's it's interesting because you know it's been said a lot in terms of like formulating alliances you never know who you're really with until you put that pen to parchment and actually vote together but Parvati almost suffers from that in the final vote where she can preach being anti-Russell all she wants but she voted with him every step of the way whereas Sandra could say like hey I went to you and talked with you about this so Both of them could sort of preach this thing of, like, yeah, Russell was an asshole and I hated working with him, but Sandra has the evidence to actually show, like, I actually made attempts to not work with him, whereas unfortunately, Poverty stuck with him to better her game, but it doesn't help when you're trying to make the argument of, I didn't want to work with him.
0: Yeah, and it's one thing to talk about game, but I'm really, I really want to reiterate that to people, because this is very important, and when you're talking about survivor history, yeah, I mean, one should win over the other, blah blah blah, but the discussion, and Paul, I noticed you perked up immediately because you had noticed that as well, is that the discussion at the time was never should Parvati have won. It was always should Russell have won. So I always think it's so fascinating that Russell's defense became so indefensible that everyone just moved over to, well, it had to be Parvati then. So it's always just, to me, it's just been people just do not want to support Sandra. They do not like the idea that Sandra won the season, and they'll say whatever to undercut her or say somebody else should win again it was russell for a while and then it switched so i just think that's very fascinating the way the fan base has approached that all right let's get into this final vote here so the final vote they go to tribal council and basically everyone just shits on russell as they should and it comes down to poverty versus sandra although i do have to say there's a couple moments here i love where poverty says russell was my dragon i kept him as my pet and we cut the coach immediately being all annoyed that she took his bit
2: uh which is worse though that uh i mean i guess coach is like i guess in retrospect this is better than when he actually gets the end of the game and sophie just says he was my little girl uh like maybe coach didn't know how good he had it with just her part of the aping his references yeah
0: but this whole tribal council is just you know colby saying russell russell you're delusional and then uh coach of course, pulls out a quote. I tried to get it word for word here. Russell, only the penitent man shall pass, which I love that. It's going Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade there, plus Bible, I believe. I'm not sure if coach or Bible came first, one of the two. But then Danielle says, Russell, you're not going to get any votes tonight. Don't you get that? And then Candace, this is the one that I love. This is, this again, forever cemented that Russell is not really a strong survivor player, where Candace says, Russell, you tell dirty lies, unnecessary lies. They don't need to exist. And so it's just everyone crapping on Russell. But here we go And this. I know, Mike, we talked about this earlier, where where Candace says, Parvati, you were like a spouse in a bad, abusive relationship. You were under his thumb. You couldn't escape. And like, we didn't respect that. And I think that's what really you know, kills it for poverty right there, whether you think it's fair or not. But I think the evidence is right there that kind of spells out why they weren't going to vote for her.
2: Or at least why those five heroes weren't going to, because we knew that, you know, yeah. Courtney was guaranteed for sanity. You would assume Danielle was guaranteed for poverty. And, you know, Jerry had a large respect for poverty, even in her day after video, she's just like agog at what poverty was able to pull off and coach who really does value this idea of challenges and doesn't respect Sandra because of her lack of physicality and Russell because, uh, you know, he used Christianity against him, was like, all right, I guess I have to vote for the least of three evils. But essentially, in the game of heroes versus villains, even though it comes down to three villains, the heroes are going to be the ones who determine this. And, you know, I really do wonder in terms of, like, I don't know if there was, like, talk at Ponderosa. Like, it can't just be coincidental that all five heroes ended up voting for Sandra, right? Do you really think they were all so independently minded that Sandra had said something to them in that final tribal council that all five decided to vote for her?
0: No, I mean, I don't think it's any more uh, complicated. They just don't like poverty. That's what I think it is.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Rupert sums it up really well – uh, in his final statement, where, of course, Rupert is the last one edited to uh, to talk at the, at the Final Tribal Council, but he says, uh, Sandra, sitting here and hearing your answers makes me feel worse about my gameplay. I wish you and I had talked more, but I had been swayed by a disgusting human being. You opened the door up, and we kept slamming it in your face. On behalf of all the heroes, thank you. And I wonder if he's just sort of echoing their general mentality of, like, you know because of what happened at the merge these five people were pretty much screwed out of seeing the end game and sandra represented that opportunity and it's more so them sort of like slapping themselves on the wrist and realizing you were a golden opportunity thank you for doing that even though it didn't work out we're still going to reward you our vote
0: yeah and it makes me wonder has anybody ever thanked one of the finalists at tribal council before like that's got to be a first like you know, you were amazing. Thank you for opening our eyes
3: and being so awesome. They have not been thanked, but they have been asked about their water shoes.
2: <laughs> and how many zeros are in a million?
3: <laughs> yes.
0: So anyway, we go to the final vote, and it ends up being six to three. Sandra wins, and again, I reiterate, not close. Six to three is not an especially close vote,
3: and, and that's, i know—that's something that we that I think is also a little bit like, misrepresented or or misunderstood that it was this, like, down-to-one-vote, Parvati was, like, one vote away. She wasn't. It was really pretty clear.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, Russell gets decimated. He has no chance. He just gets <laughs> oh, butt-raped here. It, it's, it's so terrible.
2: interesting because Sir Russell at the Samoa finale was sad. Russell at the Heroes versus Villains finale is furious. I'm yeah. sure we'll get he, into, like, all the, all the times he's butting in, but, like, When it's just the three of them sitting there, Russell's giving so many sad sack. Jim Halpert looks to the camera of like, I can't believe this is happening. Uh, But he's about to let loose a lot of fury once he finds out that Sandra, of all people, beat him in the end. When he had the choice to take the people that he wanted to, as he so said, he ended up making the wrong decision and took Sandra with him and she whooped his ass.
1: Again, I have no reference for this, so I don't want to be quoted as I know something or I or whatnot. But, you know, you mentioned the quote about him saying, you know, I already lost in Samoa or something like that. But like I there's a part of me that feels like he he think when he's playing heroes versus villains, he might have won Samoa, you know, like because he doesn't need you know, this. Well, not that he doesn't need this, but I think that also explains the finales, because the timeline, in case anyone doesn't know, is he played Samoa. There's a little bit of a break. Then he goes out and plays heroes versus villains and they're playing heroes versus villains. And I don't know if he's back yet, but like there's an overlap. So like Samoa has started on the on the television or something like that. So the season goes, but he has played both his seasons before Samoa is done uh, uh, airing. Right. So when Russell goes to the live Samoa finale, he has played two seasons of Survivor by then. right? Right. And yeah. So as as you just said everyone in the heroes versus villains finale has decimated him. Russell, you're going to get no votes. Do you understand that? So like Russell probably was like so that's a no then. So so that that one's a no, right? But there's a chance in Samoa at least, right? Like maybe he doesn't know, maybe he has a, a, a an idea that maybe it's not, but there's a chance in his head, maybe I've won Samoa. And so like that's why I think he's sad at Samoa because here's his million dollar shot. Here's his win. And that didn't happen. So then He has that to digest, and then he has to wait for Heroes versus Villains to air and then get to that finale. So he's had time to think about, I have lost this game twice. I am mad. I'm going to go in there, both guns blazing.
0: Uh, Something interesting I wanted to bring up here is that it'll be interesting to, like, this mindset will not really make sense now. And we're recording this again. We don't like dating this. It's 2019, so many years have passed oh since, my Heroes God. Versus, yeah, no. since Heroes versus Villains. It's, it was a long time ago. This is something you kind of have to keep in mind when you talk about Heroes versus Villains. Again, a modern me- mentality is going to have a hard time grasping this. When this season aired, Survivor had had about 12 or 13 seasons of it just being old school, where it was just social game only. And then it had had about five or six seasons of new school survivor where there was idols and you're trying to make big moves and blind sides and build a resume and stuff, which would become much more prevalent later. But net season 20, it was still relatively new. What I loved about this finale and why I will always love it. And at the time it was a big deal to me is that to me, this vote was kind of a referendum of old school survivor versus new school survivor, where even though Parvati was doing the double idle plays, you know, and blindsiding people and doing these moves, they just liked Sandra better. I mean, Sandra's not making big moves. They just like her, and she's honest, and like she knows what she's talking about, and she's not necessarily unnecessarily cruel to people. And so, what I loved about Heroes versus Villains, and again, like I said, a modern audience don't, won't really get this as much, it was a wonderful referendum that the person they liked more won a 6 3 vote over the person who was doing all the idle plays and big moves. So I will forever love Heroes vs. Villains because this was like the last point in history where they could still kind of get away with that and point out, you know, Survivor isn't about the idols, it's just about being popular and nice and likable. And that's really, that's, the, that's what Survivor is and it's gone away from that so drastically since Heroes vs. Villains. This is like the last point in time when they could still do that.
2: Well, it's interesting because I feel like also part of a winning Tribal Council format or pitch is to really... Play to your audience, you know, know your audience. And one of the things that Sandra says, I think when she, when Courtney talks about her is like, you know, you are loyal. You might be a villain, but like you are loyal as hell. If I'm loyal with somebody, I'm loyal with them to the end. And I mean, look at this jury, you know, you have coach who, even though she didn't vote for, he didn't vote for her, like has that mentality Courtney is somebody who went to the end with the alliance she made from the very beginning, Amanda did, Danielle was was planning to, and then you have, like, the, the old-school trifecta of Rupert, Colby, and Jerry. So, while that argument wouldn't necessarily play, in fact, would probably get, like, laughed out of the room in maybe a modern-day Survivor jury, this just happened to be the right jury makeup, where, to your point, Mario, they're like, yeah— we really do value loyalty, and Sandra, you actually showed the most loyalty out of those top three, and we want to reward you for that.
0: Yeah, and that's something, If this this season gets made fun of a lot. You'll see this, modern fans just started watching in the last couple of years, will be like, that jury vote doesn't make any sense, Sandra didn't make any moves. And I'm like, but it didn't matter, and that's it's, it's really hard to explain this vote if you weren't there, and that's why you'll see overwhelmingly, people argue Parvati should have won, but The people who argue that necessarily don't really understand Survivor in this era. So that's the argument I would like to make. So I have no problem with Sandra winning. And again, obviously, I'm a huge Sandra fan and I'm not a poverty fan. So, you know, take my opinion with a grain of salt, if you will. I was going to like Sandra anyway. But to me, it's perfectly obvious that Sandra should have won. It's not even a question in my mind. And again, people like, well, should... Parvity of one. Well, you know, you can make that argument if they didn't directly face each other and one of them decimated the other one by three votes. So I don't really even see how that argument makes water that Parvity should have won.
1: I think also, you know, we have talked at length in Survivor about like bringing someone to the end, someone the the concept of a goat, right? And. Here's the thing. We talk about Russell, and I think that someone, someone I think made a, a, a I've seen it online sometimes, and, and it's usually in articles that are anti-Russell, and it's about, you know, Russell is the ultimate goat in Survivor, and I think if anything, you can look at Heroes vs. Villains and say, no, he's not. You know, he is actually an endgame liability for you, because I think that what's unique about Sandra, is, and, and, and again, I feel like. I feel like I wouldn't like or be friends with a lot of people that are on Survivor, but I'm a very weird persnickety individual. So what's going on? But I feel like I would totally get along with Sandra. Like, that's that's totally my humor and my speed and all that sort of stuff. Yo, hold my food. That's fantastic. Um, but as much as I like Sandra, I also think that, you know, even though people do like her out in the game and whatnot, I think that both of her victories, her victory over Lil and her victory here in Hooters vs. Villains is just as much of we like you and probably even more so if we do not like the other person. You know, it's, yeah. it's 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 not a vote for her. It's a vote against someone else. And I think that you look at this, everyone hated Russell so much on the jury that not only did they not vote for him, I think that, as you said, like with, with Candace's uh, question at, at final trouble counsel, I think Parvati had too much Russell stench on her to pull away. And she tried to use the whole thing of, Russell I he was my pet he was my goat he did all of this sort of stuff and I was in control of him and I have him here at the end and I need to win and it's like he was so hated that even her saying well I had to use him to in order to get to the end was too much for people and they couldn't separate that and so you're like Russell was my goat and I brought him to the end but it's like your goat just literally blew up in your face.
2: Yeah, I I don't want to talk down Parvati's game too much here, though, because yes, it does end up being the runner-up game, but in my opinion, this is her best game of her three. I know that we are not entirely high on her Micronesia game just due to the number of fortunate circumstances that fell in her way, but looking at her overall arc from this season— she is able to work herself out of a very, very yeah. deep hole and she did pick you know the right people. Russell does play an idol on her and she's able to work away from that not only into the powerful position on the villains but also able to save her alliance at the merge and be able to essentially carry herself to the end. There are mistakes like Jay said. I think unfortunately her decision to link up with Russell may have come back to bite her from the perceptions of the of the uh, of the jury. But I think she played a, a very strong mm. game. Uh, I just think that, unfortunately, in this case, it was not a winning one.
0: Yeah, there's two things I want to add on that that I do agree. She played a strong game. She did a lot of interesting stuff and good stuff. And this is something that, that again, a hard, kind of hard to grasp for most fans, I think, is that the moves that you know she's making, she's doing idle plays, she's you know backstabbing and double-crossing people, that appeals to a large section of the modern Survivor audience, I don't know if it necessarily makes much of a difference to the players who are deciding who wins. So, like, it's very flashy stuff that I don't think really makes a difference to who wins Survivor, at least in this era. So that's the well, argument it's... I want to make. So, like, it looks good now. It didn't really matter then. Those weren't, those weren't you know, check marks for her to win. Those were just things that happened to happen during the game.
1: Here's something that I tell my my acting students a lot when I am teaching and, and it's the concept of a meritocracy and and something that I tell them is like theater is not a meritocracy and that's OK. It's not a bad thing, you know, but it's it's what it is like everyone sort of sits there and says, well, I if I get better and become a good actor or I become a, an objectively better actor than this other person, I am going to get the role over they Getting the role because I'm a better actor and a lot of times that's just not true because a lot of other factors come into there They you know, you have to have a certain look a certain fit a certain style a certain personality And even if if someone is a better actor someone else may be a better fit for that role and so The problem is is that you can know this in your head You can go into an audition and say look, it's not a meritocracy They're just going to go with who they feel is right for the role and all that sort of stuff But then when you don't get the role or someone doesn't get the role over somebody else. You don't go there, you're in head you in your head go, Were they better than me? Or was I not good enough? And it all of a sudden comes back to this meritocracy. And I think the problem with Survivor is Survivor is not a meritocracy. Survivor is literally people of a jury that have played the game, voting for someone else who is still in the game a million dollars. There is no criteria. There is no reason why that 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 someone has to vote for somebody they vote for them their vote is their vote and they vote for however they want to vote mm-hmm. The problem is is that we the people who watch the game have no real basis for that we it's and it's hard for us to just go well they're going to vote for who they want to vote for we have to come up with ways to rank people and, and to say this person is objectively better at Survivor because they win challenges or this person is objectively better at Survivor because they orchestrate votes. I mean, that's something that you can say about Sandra in Heroes versus Villains. She did not like Russell and if she tried, she tried to talk to people and say, Russell sucks, let's get Russell out of the game. It's not like Sandra was turning around halfway through the season going, boy, I'm going to string Russell along till the end. Like she wanted Russell gone. She couldn't generate a vote to get Russell gone, which is partially how the game was playing out. But partially you can look and say Sandra can't generate a vote. But does she have to? And is that is that a thing that makes her a worse player than someone else who can generate a vote? And I'm not saying that 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 yes or no, but it doesn't matter when it comes to somebody winning survivor. It's not a meritocracy. And yet that's all we have is to rank people in, in all these sort of things. And Parvati does so many things right in Survivor. She does so many things well that you can sit there and say she's objectively good at Survivor because not only she won a season, she does all these things really, really well. But by the same token, just because she played a really, really nice game in Heroes versus Villains and did all this good stuff, yeah, she wasn't right for the part, I guess.
0: That's really good. Yeah, I like that.
2: So are you saying, Jay, that that America should get a portion of the vote? Is that really what you're trying to outline here?
1: I think that the people should decide, Mike. <laughs> no, wait. Oh, oh, God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. It, but, it, I, but, I mean, I think that's the thing with Survivor, and that's – we've said it before in other podcasts. I'm not introducing a new concept here. We've all talked about it forever. But it, it's the frustration that we have as viewers because all we can do is try to make some sort of, like, ranking or merit sense – to Survivor in order to do it. Because if we just watch the game and then just go, well, they're gonna vote for who they vote for. Oh, they voted for that person. Cool. There's there's no attachment there. There's no there's no anything. We don't have like a large podcast industry and, and media industry about Survivor because we all just write articles and go, Well, whatever the chips fall, that's where it may lay, you know? And 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 so it, it's just it's this weird sort of you know, disconnect that we have.
0: So what you're saying is that Parvati won the popular vote, but lost the electoral vote.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: <laughs> no. Wow.
1: No, I, what a
3: stretch.
0: I know. No, no. I, I want to bring up one other point. This, cause this is something I have said, especially back in the early days of survivor that I wrote about this a lot. And this is something you don't hear much of anymore, but I think it's very interesting to bring it up or important to bring it up for heroes versus villains is that we watch it at home as a strategy game who makes the big moves, who controls the vote, but I don't necessarily think that, at least at this point in history, influenced how a season played out, and I want to bring this up again, this, because especially this, this takes any blame out of Parvati for losing. This has nothing to do with her. I think, really, the thing that's the most important, especially through this era of Survivor, is what is the story of the season? What is our When we finish this game, and it goes back and airs on TV, what is the storyline going to be, and how do I fit into that? Into that? And I think this is something that even though players may not talk about or admit, I think is probably very important to the way they their thought process goes, especially towards the end of the season. And basically what I'm saying is that if Russell wins this season, the story is Russell beat us. And nobody wants that to be the story of their season. That's going to be their legacy for the rest of their life. Russell beat me at Survivor. However, if Parvati wins the season, it's the same story. The story wow. is poverty and Russell beat us. And nobody wants to that to be the story because poverty and Russell are so intertwined. So I believe it becomes very important to be a part of a story that the jury is going to be able to accept. And Sandra, well, you know, she didn't control the vote. She didn't blindside. She didn't really do anything that steered the narrative of the season. If she wins the season, the story is so much different. It is, you know, the, the, the villains dominated the season, but they fell apart at the end because of infighting. And then the one person who was working with us, the heroes wins the season and we all give her our vote. So we now become the dictators of the story. The story is the heroes decide who wins, who treated the heroes with the respect. And so I think it's very important to keep that in mind is that it doesn't even matter a lot of the time who's controlling the vote. What matters is, are they able to verbalize the storyline that other people want to hear? And Sander, whether by choice or by not, was walking around saying, you know, you heroes, vote with me and you'll all win. It'll be amazing. You guys are going to be the heroes again. Even though it didn't work out, she verbalized the story they wanted to see. And so to them, it was, I think it was a very obvious vote vis-a-vis, I do not want to be a side character in poverty and Russell dominating the season.
2: And that reflects in the reunion as well, where I mean, this might be I guess maybe second only to Samoa shows probably the biggest schism between cast opinion and audience opinion. Where oh, yeah. I mean, this is one of the actually one of the crazier reunions because Russell is manic. He's standing up. <laughs> he's going on tangent to the point crazy. where where Jeff like needs to shut him down several times. Like he tells him like Hey, take a breath." calm down because Russell is just at the end of his rope and then some. But every time Russell talks, you can see just everyone there. Even like people like Stephanie, who never interacted with him, just rolling their eyes. They are done with him at this point. But (laughs) the audience is eating it up, especially when the aforementioned moment of Russell saying, there's a flaw in the game because Sandra won twice, therefore America should get a share of the vote. Of course, what happens? The audience... Burst into applause at the idea, and all the other castaways are either booing or showing extreme displeasure, except for Rupert because he knew he would probably clean up in that vote more than Russell <laughs> if that happened.
0: I love the irony that Stephanie is rolling her eyes at an attention whore. Oh, who is this person <laughs> trying to get all this attention? Oh, shut him up. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah. Let's, let's talk about this vote, and then we'll talk about this reunion, and then we'll talk about the legacy. I have so much to say about the legacy of this season. But, okay, um, any, anybody have a problem with Sandra winning? I'm assuming I'm talking to the different wrong crowd if I'm arguing that. But, like, do you guys think the right person won this season? The uh, <laughs> Okay, never mind. We'll move on. So, So, yeah. So, again, this is – if people don't follow the online community, I know not everybody does. So I kind of talk about things as if you already know them, but you might not. This is the schism in Survivor these days. Sandra versus Parvati, who should have won the season? I would say if you go online, it's about 80% pro-Parvati, 20% Sandra. That's just an estimate from what I see. I don't know, but it's very much a schism, probably the greatest schism in Survivor history. Whereas at the time it was Sandra versus Russell, but Russell fans of all disappeared or whatever died, whatever happened to them. I don't know. But all the Parvati fans are now out now. So it becomes Sandra versus Parvati. Who should have won? It says it really says a lot about what you value as a survivor player by what your answer is. So again, I know a lot of people are going to be pissed that we're all defending Sandra, but I mean, we're all old school, so it's not really going to be a surprise, but now to the reunion. Like you said, Mike, this reunion is crazy.
2: It's just, I mean, Russell is wound up. He's been wound up for, like Jay said, like once he found out he lost Samoa, that was the best chance he had of winning. So now that he knows he's losing, he's been sitting on that for several months at this point. And to be outdone by the one person who, not only they watched a whole season of him insulting her, but her insulting him back. And for her to be right, that sort of, you know, validates, I guess, in this, to a certain extent, her opinions on him. And so. The very first thing, you know, I think Jeff goes to Russell and asks about the ultimate result, and Russell says, Do you really want me to explain this to you? And this starts basically a tirade on, on a Tiara-laden Sandra that starts now, but basically doesn't stop for the entirety of the reunion. Even though they go to other people, it's very clear that if if in Russell's world, this would have been a TED Talk where Russell just completely rails Sandra for like half an hour.
0: Yeah, let's, let's not gloss over one other thing here. This is important to point out for this reunion, is that Russell has been going on and on that Parvati is the queen of Survivor. He kind of suspects maybe he wasn't going to win this season, so now he has moved all his allegiance over to Parvati. He's like, Parvati should have won. She was the greatest. She was the queen of Survivor, and Sandra, behind the scenes, has heard this. She is, knows this is going to be Russell's argument, that he's going to bash her at the reunion. So Sandra, no stranger to confrontations herself, shows up with her own tiara because now she's going to undercut Parvati's argument that Parvati should be the queen. So Sandra shows up with the tiara saying, I'm the fucking queen, screw all of you. And so now Sandra is baiting both Russell and Parvati at the reunion and everybody in Parvati Nation out there. So it becomes a very WWE-like event where they just don't like each other, these three.
2: Yeah, and there's this... I'm pretty... Fun image of, uh, you know, Russell and Sandra just laying into one another and Parvati literally sitting back in the middle, being like, I mean, essentially she's the one being fought over, oddly enough, in a way. Uh, but yeah, this is when Russell infamously says how flawed the game is, and Jeff Probst sits Russell down and says, Our show is not that. Our show is clearly defined. You haven't won this game. Maybe you would win that game, but it's not this game, and, uh, uh, you know, I think some people have gripes sometimes with Jeff Probst hosting the reunion, but it's nice to have those types of things where the host of the show is able to be the one to get to wrestle and be like, your delusions are not going to be confirmed any day of the week, man.
0: Yeah. Uh, Okay. I have more to say about that, but I want to come back to it at the end. So what about you, Paul and Jay? Any takeaways from this reunion we're not getting into here?
3: I mean, I just remember it so clearly, like, after it aired. I remember, like, uh, it was at the end of a semester, and I was visiting um, some other friends. And I remember we like went back and rewatched it together, like the first like fifteen minutes, because it was just like, it was like crazy trash. Like I feel like when people think about trashy reality TV, like that's what they want to see: is people just like yelling and screaming and JT grabbing stuff and trying to throw it in the fire and just like just going nuts. So uh, definitely memorable.
1: Yeah, when you whenever you have a season, uh, an All Star season, I mean, I mean the All Star reunion. Was was something right. And mm-hmm. and they bring they bring back the big personalities for a reason. They're big personalities and they're going to eat up TV. And now you've got a reunion of it with, you know, emotions running high and, and everyone trying to get their fill. And I mean, you know, everyone's got an agenda except for people who just want to tell you where to get a good meal, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's one of the sadly more underrated moments of survivor history. Been forgotten that Stephanie upstages the entire reunion to get in a plug for her restaurant.
2: <laughs> well, and the first thing that she does is, you know, at the when the survivor winner is crowned, they usually sit the finalists on one side and the jury on the other one. They try to recreate the tribal council set. And then once the winner is declared, usually the pre-jurors then come out and join the big mass of people hugging. And they do that this time. Except for Stephanie LaGrosa, when Jeff, you know, is about to cut to commercial saying the live reunion show is coming up next. Stephanie walks downstage, circles in front of the fire next to Jeff Probst, and does a two-handed wave (laughs) to the audience, and she becomes – the center of focus the I, last thing we I, see of like the season proper before going into the reunion is stephanie lagrosa waving
3: i told you guys this before i was rewatching before we got to the um i knew it was coming too before we recorded this podcast and i was dying i was i was like worse than i remembered because like i i, I just remember seeing like like the gif of it i remember but then like actually to see her like have to like move position on stage to get like the best lighting as she like walks around the fire and to get right behind Jeff it's it's great
0: <laughs> I love Stephanie shameless to the end upstaging Jeff probes at the reunion on a season she was voted out what fourth
2: second <laughs>
0: second oh she's second
2: <laughs> and, then, yeah, so. yeah, and and to Jay's point so Jeff asked like Stephanie you made it to the end a couple times you got out second like does that hurt and she's like nothing that a good filet mignon pizza Gigi's can't fix
0: yeah, sadly, Stephanie's restaurant has since gone out of business, so I never got a chance to get my filet mignon pizza. But God bless her in, in for my,
1: trying to get her airtime. In my best Norm McDonald impersonation ever, do, do you think they went out of business uh, uh, because they put filet mignon on pizza? <laughs> That's a good point, Norm. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not one of these like pizza purists. It's like it's only, you know, like, dude, I've, I've had so many weird pizzas with with, you know, fun stuff on it and whatnot. But I just feel like, you know, a filet mignon is like what, a, a 20 plus dollar you know, cut of steak that you get at a steakhouse. And then you just go like, I'm going to cut it up and put it on a pizza.
0: <laughs> you know, that's nothing that can't be solved with a little root beer with caviar in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> uh, drinking out of a golden mug that, of course, you can take home. We can just make another one. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, so, yeah, to back up all your points, this is a very trashy reunion show. As Paul said, it's very much Jerry Springer's show. I'm going to make a very unpopular argument that I think Survivor jumped the shark real hard in this reunion and finale. I know a lot of people don't like hearing that. I'll make the argument a little bit later. But yeah, this is a very polarizing finale. Very People have very strong emotions about this finale one way or another. Uh, lost in it is the fact that Sandra becomes the first two-time winner, which you think would be a little more celebrated, but it really gets lost in all this other stuff, bigger personalities. But... Yeah, there's a uh, lot of stuff that comes out of this reunion, a very memorable season. Again, this is why people claim this is their favorite season. It's the best season because it is so big, memorable, big personalities. It's polarizing. It is pretty much the apex of how uh, – what's the right word? Emotional? Not emotional. Just big and memorable a survivor can get. Epic. But – Epic, yeah. But it does lead, in my opinion, to a lot of very, very bad things that happen to Survivor because of Heroes versus Villains.
2: Well, Mario, surely you're not talking about when Boston Rob, WWE style, calls out Russell to go in the ring together one last time.
0: Yeah, that's one of them. That's not the biggest, most egregious one. Do you want me to give you my biggest gripe with this season? I will say... As much as Jeff says that he that Russell doesn't know what he's talking about and that Russell is an idiot and the fans should not vote. I do not buy for a second that Jeff really believes that I think to this day, he still thinks that Russell or Parvati should have won the season because they were making the big moves. So this is my conspiracy theory of the day is that Russell lost. Heroes versus Villains, he lost Samoa, and as you said, the audience in this one was so divided. They were so pro-Russell, and the show and the players were so anti-Russell, there was a huge gap right there at this point in history, what the fans wanted to see and what the players and what the reality were. And I think, to this day, that they, ever since Russell showed up on Survivor and failed hard at it twice... The producers have tried to turn Survivor into a game where someone like Russell could actually win. And so ever since Heroes vs. Villains, to me, it's been an endless parade of producer manipulation, twists, advantages, idols, that the producers can control how the game is going to be played out, and they take the emotions out of the game, all really not specifically for Russell, but just so a douchebag like Russell actually can win Survivor. Because he can't win Survivor the way Survivor is designed. And my argument is ever since Heroes versus Villains, it's been a never-ending attempt to morph Survivor into a game where someone like Russell could win. So I think this Mm -hmm. is the the jumping of the shark moment that Russell was so damn popular and the audience was so much behind him that they've very subtly been trying to shift the game into something that that an asshole like him could win.
2: I mean, there's also like several points where you can make that argument too though right I mean you could say the institution of the final three you could very much say the fire making challenge Uh, I would say those are probably bigger rocks in the river that show wanting to steer the course towards maybe a different outcome than here taking this idea of like yeah we want these big Russell players to make it to the end and win
0: I agree but again nobody has been as popular as Russell it all kind of starts here and I agree, it's very incremental. Some of them are much bigger rocks in the river, like you said. But I think it starts here, and it becomes a very slow, methodical slide of the show downwards as they're trying to manipulate the game more into a certain type of winner.
1: Maybe. But also, you know, and, and you've been very... You, you've been one to point out, Mario, to me, because I just talk about how, like, how popular Russell was, and you're just like, well, the ratings don't reflect it. <laughs> but it's like... The thing is, is I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, as you pointed out, heroes versus villains with Sandra's win and stuff like that is sort of a in a lot of ways, a, la- a last hurrah to sort of earlier uh, types of survivor. And I think that, you know, they, they wanted to make the game go forward and I, forward does not necessarily mean better, but I do mean forward. They wanted uh, they I think that, you know, the producers liked. You know the the hidden immunity idols they loved probably when Harvey did the double Idol play and stuff like that, and it's not necessarily just russell centric, but what Russell did. And you can't deny this, Mario. And it doesn't necessarily reflect on the ratings. Was that you know Survivor? We've talked about it, like for the opening season and for Australia and stuff like that. It was part of like America's zeitgeist. Like it was a thing people talked about. And even people who were not necessarily reality TV people or like necessarily Survivor fans became fans of Survivor for a time. And every once in a while, Survivor would pop up and it would be relevant or it'd be a thing. And it's like it is slowly, slowly dipped into. You know, sort of just its own niche, which is totally fine. And and that's that's how it is. But Russell sort of brought it back into the zeitgeist. I remember like Bill Simmons talking about it, like on you mm-hmm. know his podcasts and stuff like that, like, you know, Russell in- injected some sort of relevancy to Survivor, maybe not in ratings, but just in relevancy. And I think that, you know, not just him and his personality, but just his his bullish ways of playing the game. You know, and I think the fact that you know Russell and Parvati sort of putting on that display in Heroes versus Villains, yeah, I think that Survivor was like, this is the direction we want to go, and it's not a matter of like we're going to try to get someone like Russell to win, but they were like, this is the direction we want the show to go.
0: Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't dispute that at all.
2: Yeah, that's what I would say more so is less about let's make a certain type of person win, and it's more so, hey, this created a lot of big, fun, entertaining TV moments, and we are producing a TV show and. We're going to see I think Heroes versus Villains distinctly marks the end of a certain era. And I think what we're going to see over the next four, maybe five, maybe six seasons, maybe even seven if you count Blood versus Water, is them sort of going back to where they were in the teens of like them really trying out a bunch of stuff post All-Stars to see, okay, what kind of stuff is going to help produce big TV moments like the ones that we got They realized uh, maybe a bit too late that most of it focuses around who you cast rather than actually trying to throw twists in there. But Mm -hmm. I think that's more so what they were trying to pursue than like, hey, wouldn't it be fun if, you know, a Russell type won the game? It's more so, hey, let's give some toys out so that the Russell types are able to use them and create better moments for our show.
0: Yeah, and I 100% agree with that. I cannot dispute that audience at the heroes versus villains finale. You cannot argue they were not really, really invested in Russell and this type of new gameplay. And that's where Survivor is going to go in here. So it's, I mean, I've, I've made this argument before that it brought in a really interesting new element to the fan base. Like it wasn't so much just Russell fans, very, very aggressive Fans that really wanted the show to be a certain way. And I think they were probably deluding, deluging, what's the word? They were sending a lot of emails to probes and the, in the producers saying, this is what we love this. This is the kind of show. So I'm sure they were getting that very enthusiastic feedback from this new type of fan base that had been brought in. So like, I can't really blame them, but this is why. I personally don't really consider survivor to have a contiguous timeline all the way up to the present anymore. There's a certain point it really becomes a different show and it like it kind of starts here but again as we get in historians we'll find we'll find more specific points where it diverges even more heavily. And is that it? Are we done with heroes versus villains?
3: Well, that was fast.
2: I think a good representation of the weirdness of this reunion is why Jeff Decides to end it after before the Gen Lion tribute. Luckily, is he decided to have some graphic designers make a quote unquote Survivor prototype of the perfect winner by taking what like Richard's left eyebrow, Sandra's right eyebrow, the Harvey's earlobe, JT's dimples, and it is a freak of nature. And it is the weirdest image I've seen on Survivor in quite some time.
3: And the whole thing is a huge flop. <laughs>
2: like, Yeah, everyone's, everyone's just really, really unnerved by it. I think, including Jeff himself.
0: They should have had Stephanie pop up in front of it and wave to everybody just to distract from that image.
3: <laughs> or they should have had just like, sponsored by Gigi's Pizza. <laughs> now, okay, we
0: do have to point out they do the fan favorite, the sprint fan favorite of this season, right?
3: Yes. And R- Rupert
0: loses to Russell, right?
3: <laughs> and his face, I wish they lingered on Rupert just a little bit longer. Like it's like a split second, but he has just such a look on his face that's like, "Oh, this is bad."
0: <laughs> that guy is human garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like the one time.
2: Yeah, that's also true as well. Like we were talking about, you know, Sandra being able to dunk on Russell, who is her worst enemy. Rupert, remember, loaves Russell to every fiber of his being, and Russell unfortunately dunks on him here as well.
0: Yeah, that is very telling of the shift in Survivor at this point in history, where Rupert, you know, unabashedly fan favorite, the most popular player in Survivor history, probably after, you know, like Rudy and Colleen, once we go to a different era, but like... Rupert loses the fan vote to the new Russell fans that have taken over the franchise. And that's very telling of where this franchise is gonna go. We have no more time for the Rupert to the world. Now we want Russell's. So, and with that, we have successfully completed the uh heroes versus villains coverage, a season I know is very polarizing. I apologize. I know you guys like listening to the show, you like our banter. I'm sure you come for the history, but yet I've, from what people tell me, you guys just like listening to us interact. So hopefully we didn't piss you off too much if we didn't. Well, I'm agree. glad
3: they like it because I sure as hell don't like interacting with you guys. But <laughs> for the fans,
0: for the fans, Paul will put up with us Southerners who are non-Montanans.
2: Oh, Paul just won the fan favorite vote. The results are in now.
0: Now, what's the Montana fan favorite? You like a new tractor? What is that? Sure. <laughs> right so please if you'd like to send paul a new tractor he's in bozeman i think they just write to him at the post office but anyway so anyway that's our heroes versus villains coverage and again we just thank everyone for listening to us and we're going to do a little quick wrap up here after palau we did survivor after 10 seasons where the franchise stood we've kind of done that a little in this podcast i just want to give you guys a chance anything you want to say about survivor at season 20 that we haven't talked about before we move on
3: Here's what I will say is this, and this is like now kind of jumping into the future, which at some point eventually we'll probably get there. Um, after heroes versus villains ended, and actually I, I can remember having like interactions with Mario talking about talking about you with this back in the day, it took a long time for me to even to even feel like, yes, survivor should have continued after twenty because it felt like such a bookend season and an end of this right. like this perfect stopping point. And it really, I don't think it was till Philippines that I was kind of like a, truly excited that Survivor was continuing on and really felt like there was something else there. Um It was a couple years of just being like, why didn't we just end this thing? I mean, really, like, I feel like the show should have taken the direction of. Now we start fresh, we start new, let's make new legends, new stories. But as we know, very quickly after uh, Heroes vs. Villains ends, we're already going back to the well and the same people we just saw. So that's kind of, um, I, think it, I think because in a lot of ways it was a huge success, it took the show a while to figure out how to move in the next direction because I, it's kind of messy for a little while.
2: Well, one way it did choose to to move in that direction, at least, is a change in the coverage of Survivor, and we spoke about this a bit. And it's crazy that we're nearing like the ten year anniversary of the Historians uh, itself in real time. But Survivor Heroes versus Villains, obviously, a huge season coming in, and so it encouraged some people back in 2010 to start Little Things Called Podcasts just to talk about Survivor. Before then, you know, it didn't really exist. But I know that Rob Sestronino, at least, uh, he personally wanted to get into podcasting because Survivor Heroes vs. Villains was going to be such a big season, such an epic season. And I feel like the game of Survivor commentary was forever changed by two things. First was the advent of the podcast, and second was social media. And social media was brewing, I think it'd still be a couple of years before like Twitter really starts becoming a thing, and that's really become like, one of the biggest bastions of Survivor fandom and Reddit as well today. But we saw, you know, this is when Rob has a podcast comes up, this is when The Tribe comes up, this is when I think like Joanne and Stacy comes up as well, which has been a-, a podcast for quite some time. But yeah, now something that... Maybe, you know, uh, wouldn't have necessarily made its way onto that medium in the past, has now found its way onto a podcast. And as the realm of podcasts will grow, so will Survivor to the point where, you know, several contestants that come on modern day seasons will go to podcasts as gospel. Maybe even more so sometimes than previous seasons, they'll listen to podcasts because the ability to break down strategy and character moments in the show at large from a, uh, an easier and more audio-based perspective than reading an article I think significantly changes the game in terms of what voices are sort of being propped up and who's listening to those voices.
0: Yeah, that's very important. I, I want to make sure, I'm glad Mike said that, that's very important. We're about to start covering an era, if we're not already covering it. That like when we first started, historians we're talking about seasons that there's almost nothing out there about what was being said at the time, what the you know historical references were to the season as it was airing. So it was very important to all of us, I mean, to me especially, that we were giving the earlier eras of Survivor the due diligence and like the respect that they deserved, where people could understand them in context. We are now getting to the era when. There were already podcasts out there covering it, and there is historical record of what was being said about it. So we're moving up to an era where we're not really the only game in town here anymore, and I'll fully be the first one to defer. Rob has a podcast, has done this probably much better than we're going to do it from here on out. And that's not saying we're going to stop historians. We still like doing it. I know you guys, I hear all the time, people love the show. It gives them, you know, when they're bored at work, they're on commutes, they're on plane lot rides, they love the show because it's like hanging out with a bunch of friends. And we were, we're not going away. We love doing this. So we're not going anywhere, but I'll be the first one to say, Rob has a podcast, has covered this era and the tribe. You guys, Paul was part of the tribe. And I think all of you were at some point, but Paul, I know was a founding member. You guys have already covered these seasons. So Paul has even set off the air. Like, we're running into jokes now that I remember making 10 years ago. It's weird that we're now dual covering these seasons. So I'll be the first one to say, we're no longer really the only game in town. I wouldn't really even say we're the experts on everything from here on out, like we would have been in, like, Borneo and through Marquesas and stuff. But we are going to be covering an era that has already been covered. So we'll do our best to try to insert our own, you know, style into it our own, so our own mark into it but again this era has already been covered there aren't that many secrets that haven't been told i don't necessarily know a lot of secrets about this era like paul said he and i discussed this way back in the day that heroes versus villains was great but it kind of that was kind of the end of survivor for us so we kind of checked out for a while and weren't really as invested as we had been in the past paul said "Which which season did you say brought you back philippines
3: yeah, it was until Philippines where I felt really like, okay, now there's something fresh and new.
2: Yeah. I but, mean, yeah. To be fair, it did not help that the seasons immediately preceding Heroes versus Villains were like probably the worst stretch of seasons in quite some time. To the point where even myself as like a diehard fan, Survivor Philippines was like still in my top ten seasons just because of what it served as in comparison to the yeah, rest of those seasons. I will seasons. say for me
0: personally, the one that got me back was Blood versus Water. So it took a while. But I really love the first half of Blood versus Water. I think it's so fascinating, and I love Worlds Apart. Those are really only the two seasons I really got invested in after Heroes versus Villains. Although, in retrospect, I will say I really love South Pacific. I think that's such a fascinating season. But at the time, it drove me. Oh, I
3: me, agree too. It's better it, in retrospect.
0: It drove me yeah. insane because yeah. I, I I hate we're spoiling this. People don't don't, don't spoil future seasons, but. It drove me insane that it looked like Coach was going to win, and I had so much of my Funny 115 career right based on Coach just being a joke. I'm like, no, 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 Coach can't. So that one drove me insane, but I will stick up for the seasons immediately after. I don't think Redemption Island is that horrible. I love South Pacific. I think Nicaragua is interesting from a production standpoint more than a storytelling standpoint. I don't think these are like the worst seasons ever, but I will admit again, Paul and I in particular, it took us a while to really get back into survivor after this season.
1: Yeah. Hey, he's not the best color know. man in the league for nothing. He's not the best color man in the, in the league for nothing. And um, now we're,
3: we're done talking about survivor forever now, right? This is it. Yep. Yeah. Just like season 20, we're going off the air. Yeah. We know when to stop. All right.
1: I we have a little, we don't know when to stop. We don't know when to stop. <laughs> clearly,
3: clearly,
0: yeah, we're still making Rupert Toad jokes. We don't know where to stop. All right, so I have a little surprise for people um, Whereas we wrap up our coverage of the first 20 seasons of Survivor here, and I know people will be squealing with joy if you're a Historians fan, that many people over the years have said, you know, when you guys started Historians, you guys were just kind of phoning it in. You didn't know what you were doing yet. To which Jay, of course, would answer, of course, we had no idea what we were doing. We had zero idea. <laughs>
1: I didn't think people would listen to this show. No, no, no. Thought- we did. We did. I mean, it came organically, right? Because, like, your whole thing was, like, let's do a podcast with, like, you, me, and Paul, and Beatles, right? Beatles. And we just talked. It's like, it took literally, like, you know, you were like, we're going to talk about four seasons of Survivor, and it'll take, like, two hours. And then, you know, like uh, an hour and a half to it, we were like, "Boy, we haven't even talked about Africa yet." So, yeah, like,
2: cut to us now doing like bordering on a three and a half hour podcast about three episodes, two actually two and a half episodes of Survivor Heroes versus Villains.
1: But that's the thing; it's something like we don't do a lot of planning, like as a group, before we come onto these podcasts. We sort of like watch and then we make our own notes and then we just talk to each other. But like, I remember having a conversation with Mario before the first Borneo, I was like, are we going in episode order? or whatever? And Mario's just like, no, nah, let's just have some questions and answer them. And I was just like, okay, that's fine. And we sort of did that format. But then sort of when we got to Australia, I just sort of looked at Mario and I was like, it's easier if we just talk about the episodes as they come up. And he's like, <laughs> okay, I guess. But, you know, it took us at least, it took us Borneo to figure that out. So, you know, how great are we? Yeah, so here's
0: the history of historians. So I'm like... Nobody's talking about the early seasons of Survivor, and there's only like 10 fans out there, I think, or even left who still watch the show. Let's get a couple of us together. I knew Jay. Jay and I had always wanted to do a podcast together or some project together. I'm like, here, come on, historians, we'll do this. And then Paul, I knew, was this trivia guru who's never forgotten a moment of the show ever. I'm like, I need that kid on my show. That kid's awesome. And, and so- now
1: you know I have many regrets about this. Continue.
0: Yes. So again, it was all thrown together. We had no idea it would really be, you know, achieve the audience that it has. And so what I am saying, we are going to go back and redo Borneo with our modern style of coverage just for you guys.
2: And Mike and Mike. And that's the thing. We
0: have Mike. Now we have a new guy.
2: I get to do Borneo, not redo Borneo. Yes, so
0: we are going to go and give the most important season of Survivor – sorry, Heroes versus Villains – the most important season of Survivor, the full coverage and attention it deserves, three to four parts – I don't know how long it will be – with all of our references and inside jokes and knowledge, and I know you guys are working on your Dr. Sean impressions and Rudy impressions.
1: Oh, God, yes.
2: Well, that's the thing, which I am very intrigued by. Again – Like, I feel like I have to date it here. Um, We are talking about a month after the passing of Rudy Bosch. And I personally have not gone back to watch any of the Borneo stuff, you know, in, in in the weeks since his passing. So this will be the first time at least, you know, I personally am going back to watch that. And I... We'll be very intrigued to see, you know, receiving all that, not necessarily saying that, like, oh, how does that change the way I view Rudy? But it's sort of like is an interesting sort of latent memorial to one of the greatest survivor characters in the show's history.
0: Yeah, but not in a homosexual way, that's for sure. Yeah, so we're very excited and we will do our best to put Borneo into the context as it aired how people received it why it was received at the time and we will give it the full attention we never did before so this is to make up for Jay and me and Paul and one eighth of Beatles phoning it in for
1: one episode (laughs) we can talk a little bit about it with Mike when we get there but my idea we haven't even discussed this so I'm just literally throwing this out here right now but you know Mario and myself and Paul talked at length sort of just about you know how we came into the show and all that sort of stuff uh, we can sort of skip some of that, right? Like, you know, no, we're not going to hear like... about
2: the trampoline and the ice cream sandwich again.
3: <laughs> It'll come up episode three. It always will.
0: <laughs> yes, we will try to go over our. We'll we'll skim through our history because we'll do. I want to approach this as if this is the first episode of Historian. Like, so I'm going to give right, it full like, attention. I,
1: I don't want to give it. I don't want to talk about it like like. You know, we we start the podcast, we make our initial jokes, and then it's just episode one, we're right into it. Like, we're going to talk a little bit before, mm-hmm. obviously, the show starts. But I don't want it to be – I don't think it's going to be – because we've already talked somewhat of it, I don't think it's going to be like a heroes versus villains situation where we have an entire podcast before episode no. one.
0: Yeah, we don't know the castings. But yeah, it's – yeah, it will be – there will not be as much preamble, but we will – Try to set it up as if you're there at the time. Although Jay, there's something really exciting about Borneo. You know what that is? Mm. I wrote stories about Borneo. Oh, did you? <laughs> yes, we get to go back did to my stories. Did you really? I will. Oh my, my god! I will try my best not to mention the fact
1: that I wrote stories. But
0: we will again. We will give Borneo the full love that did it deserves.
1: Perhaps make up fake Survivor seasons with current with contestants on Survivor in a different setting. I did that. It's amazing. I would love to hear more of this. (laughs) Yes,
0: Yes. but we're all looking forward to it. And so many people have asked me about that over the years to please redo Borneo. We will. We're not going to redo Outback. I I stand by our Outback coverage. I think that was pretty good. But I honestly don't remember any jokes we made in Borneo or what we even said. So it will be all new to us. And with that, I believe we have wrapped it up. Now, I can't promise when those Borneo episodes are coming. It might be like nine months from now. But there yeah. will be, they will be there in the future once I we have to talk Paul into coming back. I know Paul's a little disgruntled. But otherwise, we're all good.
3: Somehow, is, I always yeah. come back, so.
1: <laughs> That's
2: it. Why do you think we gave you that fan favorite award? <laughs>
3: right.
1: Yes, but, but rest assured, the next time we podcast, it will be on Survivor Borneo. I am so pumped.
0: Yes, although some would say maybe that's a cowardly way to avoid talking about Nicaragua for a while.
2: <laughs> Are you saying that it's a four-way quit on Survivor Nicaragua?
0: <laughs> I I would never say that. I like Nicaragua, but I, Borneo is far more interesting, so we'll do that first. How about that? Okay, so anything else you guys have to add before we sign off here? Uh,
1: No wow all right thanks jay <laughs> so well, I, I, I had to finish the major league sort of uh joke that you were going with there
0: <laughs> yes looks like a good season you can tell a lot about a podcast by the first comment okay so so here we go um before we go i just want to give a plug i don't do a lot of plugs on the show but um a lot of people have asked us over the years if we want to do australian survivor well we're not going to do it because we don't have time <laughs> so i
1: i have a friend named you ben don't Water- want us to do it anyway then you would then we're on the hook for two podcasts like we can barely do one come on yeah
0: man. i mean that's the issue yeah it's way too much work i love australian survivor i personally think it's better than modern survivor but anyway uh, i have a friend named ben waterworth who did a podcast survivor oz he had asked me he emailed me a while back he's like you know i'd like to do a recap of the history of Australian Survivor. I'm from Australia. I love it. I want to do it. It would be very similar to historians. He goes, I just want to make sure I'm not stepping on your toes. And I'm like, absolutely. I would love to do it. We just don't have time. And we get so many emails about Australian Survivor, and it kills me that we can't do it. I just don't, don't have the resources. So Ben Waterworth has put together a show called The Australian Survivor Archives, where they go through the history of Australian Survivor. And I know there are already a few episodes into it absolutely have my full blessings i think he'll do a great job with it and i'm glad someone's doing it because you guys really should watch australian survivor it's really good we're just not the right people to talk about it so go listen to an australian guy i'm sure he'll do a great job with
2: it isn't ben's co-host matt dyson who i believe is a former australian survivor contestant as well
0: i believe so yeah
2: so if you want that sort of like if you want the uh player perspective rhap style or the snarky podcaster perspective historian style it's the perfect merging of the two
1: I I was just going to say, are we the right people to be talking about just American Survivor? I I think the answer is probably no, but here we are. So, hey. That's the thing. It's
0: never been a qualification. You have to be the right person. We've somehow stumbled into it. We are the people, and that's good enough, right? Hey, everybody loves us, right? Crickets. Okay. So, as always, thank you for listening to Survivor Historians. As always, I'm Mario Lanza.
3: I'm Jay Fisher.
2: I'm Mike Bloom.
3: I'm Paul Osleson.
0: And the next time you hear from us, we'll be going back to Survivor Borneo. Borneo's gonna pull us aside, and that's the time they was gonna tell us that we was queer. Talk to you guys later. Bye.
1: I needed to win today's immunity challenge,
0: and I didn't. I'll try, I'll try. I really needed that one. So we came back into camp, I gathered all the villains, and I gave them my surrender speech. Pretty good speech, actually. Hell, I almost convinced myself I was giving up. But I don't know how to quit, it's just not in me. I've never quit anything in my life. So when the time was right, one more attempt but i don't know about that